0: Right now, at my facility in the Kadavo system, Obi-Wan Kenobi is in despair. I'm listening. Kenobi is coming to realize, perhaps for the first time in his life, that his efforts to help others will only injure them. <laughs> As plans for escape and hopes of rescue fade... The knowing fear that he will never be able to take action will grow in Kenobi's heart. To ease the burden of his fellow slaves, defiance will become compliance. When Kenobi realizes he cannot help those around him, his spirit will break, and he will be mine.
1: Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the six-year history of the Emmy Award-winning animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars by discussing each and every episode and episode arc. We've got a great episode coming up for you this week. We're talking the slavers trilogy from season four and the standalone episode of friend in need lots of interesting stuff to talk about lots of character development lots of char- interesting character motivations in these episodes and we're going to get into all of those in just a minute but first introductions are in order my name is dominic and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host kieran kieran how are you this week man
2: I am doing absolutely fantastic, Dominic. We've got some great episodes, haven't we, Dominic, to yeah. talk about this in this particular podcast. As we said, we've got the Slavers trilogy there, and we've got everything about Siberia, Anakin, Anakin's relationship with the Slavers, and obviously we have the haunting, haunting memories of what we saw in The Phantom Menace coming, into the, coming to the surface for Anakin Skywalker. But we've also got a standalone episode a Friend in Need, which is one of the best standalone episodes. I will say that now. I'm not going to get my ratings yet. I'm just going to say my initial, initial little preps no. or impressions about it. Great episode coming up with A Friend in Need. Um, Dominic, how are you doing today?
1: Oh, I'm fantastic. I am, uh, I'm, to be honest, I'm starting to get psyched up for Star Wars celebration. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's still a good three, four months away, but I am, I'm getting psyched up for that. Well, I guess it's less
2: than four months now. I It's less than three months now, actually. If yeah. You think about it. If it's in April, I, you know what? I'm with you, Dominic. And listeners, you'll be, hopefully you'll be glad to hear that me and Dominic are both yes. going to be attending this event, <laughs> you- which, it's in California, Anaheim. It's gonna be fantastic, isn't it? Donald? Anaheim,
1: California, yeah. <laughs>
2: Anaheim, California.
1: That's how Yoda says it. <laughs> Celebration in California, Anaheim, it is <laughs> Yes. Damn it. I
2: should have said that instead of the fact that I was British. That would have been a better justification <laughs> on the Star Wars podcast, wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, well I'm, I'm sure I'm sure if, if you know Sir Alec Guinness or, or Peter Cushing were still around, you know, great Brits that were in Star Wars, I'm sure that's how they'd say it too. That's am sure that's how it works. But anyways, exactly. But yeah.
2: Uh, who is the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Exactly. I'm going to use, I'm going to use that. Exactly.
1: Exactly. But, uh, yeah, we will be there. Uh, we'll be hanging out. If you want to talk Clone Wars, come see us and, uh, make sure you listen to the Star Wars Underworld podcast this week. We've got a special announcement about what we're, what we'll be doing at Celebration. So that will be coming out, uh, on, well, we'll record live Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern on channel1138.com. And uh released the following day on iTunes and StarWarsUnderworld.com. Jesus, feels like the end of the show already. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. This is just the beginning there. Another great Brit in Star Wars. uh What's his face? <laughs> I can't believe I just said that about Sir Christopher Lee. Not what's his face. Sir Christopher Whoa. Lee, the great Count Dooku.
2: So Christopher Lee would be turning in his sleep right now he would be absolutely distraught to hear that absolute classic man who is also featured uh, very heavily in these episodes well not (laughs) not Christopher (laughs) Lee but his character is I should say his likeness I know exactly but that that goes to show really the great work that Corey Burton conducts really doesn't it the fact that to me he is synonymous with Christopher Lee's Count Dooku as well he again voice voice talent of Count Dooku, just and Cad Bane, and so many other characters, just
0: Zero the Hut,
2: and Zero the Hut. Yeah, think
1: about that. Think about that. That's one of those crazy things. Just his talent. You hear Count Dooku, you hear Cad Bane, and then you hear Zero the Hut. It's 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 amazing. This guy. No. Now, I'm talent. just
2: reminiscing now about Zero to Hut, man. I yeah. just, oh. Oh, poor Zero. Now, 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 now you're going to get me missing him. Again. Poor, but, poor you know, Zero. You could talk about that, I guess, all Star Wars fans at Star Wars Celebration. Yeah. And come, Dominic.
1: Yeah, you come up and see us, and we could talk all about Zero and <laughs> uh, and Count Dooku and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, uh, if if you if you still haven't gotten your tickets for Celebration, do it now. Do it. Give it to now. Uh, Go to starwarscelebration.com and buy your tickets because it's going to be so much fun. And we hope to see you guys there. I'm sure that somebody who's listening to this, like in the distant future, is like, man, I wish I had a gun. I wish I had a gun. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Get your tickets. Get your tickets now. And if you are that guy, well, check that website because I'm sure there's another episode or there's another celebration coming up uh, in the year, whatever. You are listening to this, uh, but but anyway. Regardless,
2: if you can't make celebration, then this year will be jam-packed with conventions. And, oh, yeah. I, I, again, we applaud everyone who can listen to come to them. But if you can't, then, of course, there's always San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, and I'm sure that will be filled Expo. as well Toronto with stars. And you've got, you got Toy Fair coming up, haven't you, Dominic? Yeah, this, toy, fair. Uh,
1: yeah the toy, fair, toy Fair this year is going to be lame. I'm predicting that (laughs) Toy Fair this year is going to be lame because they're not showing that one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, Toy toy Fair is not uh, not an open to the public kind of thing. You have to you have to go either as a as as a vendor of toys, like you have to, or a distributor of toys. I guess like you have to be a toy store. You have to be like Walmart or Toys R Us or or Amazon or something like that or you have to be a member of the of the press so you have to you have to do a blog or a website or a podcast or you know one of those like a new newspaper tv show something like that you know all that old school press uh to get to actually get to go to those but yeah Hasbro said they're not showing anything from the force awakens and given the state of of rebels figures collecting you know who knows what they're going to show what they'll be able to show and Really what we're interested in on this show is, is more Clone Wars figures. And I tell you, last year they announced, they announced that, or it might have been, I don't remember if it was Toy for San Diego Comic Con, they announced that they had some of those Jedi guards from the, from the Ahsoka arc at the end of season five Ooh. that were going on sale. I'm like, I want one of those. I want one of those. Cannot find them anywhere. I'm not, not even just in the stores or, or not even like at conventions or anything. Like, I don't know what's up with, 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 with collecting distribution, but like, <laughs> I had been looking for the, uh, Darth Malgus figure for two, three years, like since it was first announced. And I finally got it in December as a Christmas gift for myself <laughs> at a little toy show in Toronto. I saw it. I'm like, you know what? I've been looking for this for long enough. It's, it's, it's mine now. I'm going to. <laughs> buy myself a gift buy myself a gift but anyways anyways enough about enough about toys and and conventions <laughs> and all kinds of stuff um let's talk about clone war specifically let's start off with the slavers arc a trilogy of episodes uh written by henry gilvroy and stephen melching based on a comic series that they wrote for dark horse comics a couple years prior to the episodes uh so karen do you have episode descriptions for us this week
2: I do indeed, Dominic, starting off with the first episode in his three-part arc, Kidnapped. Sigerian slavers are behind the sudden dispira- disappearance of an, an of an entire colony of people on the planet Kiros. As Anakin and Ahsoka rush to defuse a series of bombs planted by the slavers, Obi-Wan must fight with their imposing leader. The second episode in this three-part arc is named Slaves of the Republic. To locate the missing colonists, Anakin, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka go undercover to infiltrate the slavers on Siberia. Anakin struggles with his emotions as a wily Siberian queen forces him to take questionable actions in order to carry out his mission. And finally, the final episode in this three-part arc is titled Escape from Kedavu. Anakin tries to convince the Sigerian Queen that she too is a slave and a pawn in an evil separatist plot. Meanwhile, Obi Wan toils in the slave camps of Kadavo, a grim situation that grows increasingly bleak.
1: Yeah, yeah, these, these episodes are 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 very interesting. I, I I I do really enjoy them. I think they were uh, very well written, very well very well acted, of course, very well uh, produced all around. Uh, and they bring up a lot of, a lot of interesting things. And so I just starting off the way we always do, um, has, has your opinion of these episodes changed in the last, well, Jesus, I guess now it's 2015, so we can say like three, four years. <laughs> it's, it's hard right. to think that that was, that was then, man. <laughs> it seems, it seems more recent. Than yeah. That, isn't it? Cause it, well, it aired, it would have aired. 2000 beginning of 2012, 2012 yeah yeah end of 2011 beginning of 2012 because it, i remember the first two episodes aired november december ish and then they did the the six-week holiday break uh, between episodes two and three of this so between i guess hmm. slaves of republic and uh, escape from Kadavo. And that's when they, they did it. And it was I remember it being kind of controversial at the time, <laughs> you know, because it was it was, a, it was a it was an interesting place to leave it. Um I think I think it probably would have in some ways. I think it actually helped because watching these again, I'll just say this. Remembering that makes the episode makes the time between episodes two and three of this seem a lot longer. And so it, it gives mm-hmm. it a little bit more weight to me. Um, you know, because it feels like Obi-Wan's been toiling away in those camps for a long time and Ahsoka's just been dangling over that edge for who knows how long. Uh, but anyway, sorry, I, I totally uh, interrupted you or cut in cut in <laughs> on you there. Have, sorry, do continue with your thought.
2: Absolutely, no problem, Gornick. And I, I, I tend to agree with you, really. I think... My my opinion has changed of these episodes. There's definitely a the point I would agree with you on that because of that long break, that long interregnum that we had between the episode of Slaves of the Republic and Escape from Cadaver. It was close to a, a couple of weeks, really. Yeah,
1: it was like and six think, weeks. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I know exactly. It was six weeks, and the the way you've justified it there is a point that I didn't actually think about. And, it, and in that respect, I think it it does work very effectively the way that they actually produced it and they showcased the episodes at the time. But I also think it is very effective the way. Um, if, if you were to bridge these all together and just watch them as one which is mm-hmm. what I have done so you yeah. watch Kidnapped and Slaves of Republic escape from Godaver consecutively and it's actually quite a neat story and I can see why they chose this story for, or that the, the uh, the comic series book that you had mentioned earlier, which was written by Henry Gilroy, Stephen Melcher. And I think that it was actually a very, very interesting, intriguing, and gripping episode. There were so many huge themes here that were being considered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is a, this is a different trajectory to take to the normal Republic v. Separatists, because it still is. If, if, well, people have to remember still, that. It's still so Jedi
1: kind of a versus Seth.
2: Yeah, well, exactly. It is more Jedi versus Sith, mm-hmm. as it were. Which, again, you could say Republic versus Separatist as well, because obviously it's the Separatists who are really sponsoring the Zygerians yeah. and and their ambitions, the Zygerians' ambitions to establish a slaver's empire. And and as you said, of course, there are grander, grander, um, I guess, plans here and schemes at work, particularly from Darth Sidious, who we we get to see in the episode. And, and I, I will agree with a point that Chris made, last time he was on the show which is the Clone Wars team never ever put Palpatine or Sidious in lightly and then when he's in it you know that he's got his dirty dirty hands all over this really haven't you so I think that as you said quite aptly it's the Jedi versus the Sith but all in all really there was some great action set pieces as well it was just I'd say it was an outstanding outstanding arc actually and we have a lot of these in season 4 and I don't it doesn't want to sound repetitive but I think that when a client does something really well, then we do have to appreciate that and and be thankful for it because, as you said, it's it's, it's these type of arcs that was really gripping and three part story arcs in some ways could end up being a bit more effective than four part story arcs as we said last time with the Umbara arc. Sometimes it seemed to well it seemed to some fans that the episode darkness on ambara and the general was a bit too repetitive. Whereas mm-hmm. this one, the beats and the momentum of, of this arc was just very, very continuous. Uh, there was no real stoppages and it just flowed so, so well, really. I, I'm really a fan of these episodes. What, what's your take on it, Dominic? Have, have you, you said that the thoughts have changed a little bit since you last saw them. What, what, what's I, changed for you?
1: Yeah, I, I don't, I, hmm. I, I don't really know how to, how to, put this into the to words because i I'm with you i I really enjoyed them when they aired and it was just sort of thinking about it and watching it this way really it was again it was being able to watch it all as one chunk. Uh, again, I watched it the way you did, uh, you know, one right after another. And as I mentioned, it did kind of make me think about, you know, was that like a, a seven week break? You know, was there sort of that big break between what happened, uh, in, in between episodes two and three, or was there just like a day or two in between? It, it's kind of like the question of how long was Luke on Dagobah? Because, you know, if you watch the movie, it's like he was there for three days. Um, but, you know, you have to think that in order to get some level of Jedi training, he was probably there for a couple of months, which means that Han and Leia were flying around in the Falcon for a couple of months, trying to get to the land of Bespin system. Bespin system, uh, and and so it's it's kind of that kind of question of of the time is not really, uh, not really, it's not really measurable. Yeah. Is it? yeah, and it's one of those things that we kind of have to take our, our real world perspective of, of you know how we saw the episodes into consideration, and and it makes you wonder because it changes. I think it does change it a little bit. Um, doesn't, one is not necessarily better or worse, but it, it does change things just a little bit. But, you know, what I did really notice from watching these episodes back to back to back, and this is, again, it kind of goes between two and three again. It's just how desperate things are at the end of two and the beginning of three. And we'll get into that when we sort of get there, but there's, there's a moment, there's a moment where it's like all hope seems to be lost. And then a certain character shows up and it's like, Oh, thank God there's still hope. There's still hope. A little a certain character rolls onto the scene and and, and we'll talk about that when we get to get to uh, escape from Kadavo. Uh but let's get into it let's get into this uh with uh with with the first episode um kidnapped. And in this episode it seems to me we we kind of get another one of these episodes where you have a group of of peaceful people who are not wanting to take part in the war and they're kind of willing to just kind of be run over by Dooku um, mm. to to avoid it. And you'd have to think is the Republic just not doing a very good job of getting the message out to these people that, you know, Count Dooku is evil or these, do these people all just think they can be the exception to the rule?
2: Well, I think it's a mixture of both actually. I don't think the Republic are doing enough to be honest. Obviously we see at the beginning of this arc, Yoda, is communicating with the Kiros leader, who's uh, Governor Roshdi his name is, mm. and he's saying, you know, trust Duke, you should not... We'll, we'll send aid as soon as we can. But I don't think that they're doing it fast enough, to be honest, and people just aren't accepting or... Believing of the fact that the Jedi will actually come to their aid.
0: Mm-hmm. For
2: example, when, when the when the Jedi do finally arrive, they said it took it's taken ten rotations. Now I don't know. Again, we don't know really how to measure that, but ten rotations seems quite a long time to be honest. Yeah, and uh, clearly enough time for an entire colony of fifty thousand people to dissipate. I think that demonstrates enough as to why people just aren't accepting of the fact that the Republic is going to come to their aid. And look. You know, when he says the Dooku's already arrived, the Separatists are there, bang on time, bang on schedule. Now, we know that their motivations are completely different, republican Republic and the Separatists. But ultimately, it would seem from the outside point of view, well, the Separatists have come here, they're going to bring supplies. And you know, why, why, why am I accepting a Republic, which is, as many peoples in this galaxy have labelled, as this corrupt system? And so you can you can empathize with their with their feelings and thoughts. But again, I, I I like your point you raised at the beginning there where it says where you said that it seems to be correlating with other missions that have taken place throughout the Clone Wars, um, the fact that you've had these passive people that are just mm-hmm. trampled upon by Dooku's forces. You had that with Onaconda Far in the episode Bombad Jedi, the Lerman peoples yeah. in Season 1, and you also had it with the Bounty Hunters tribe, to an extent. It wasn't quite the Separatists, but you, know, you had Onaconda Far and the Pirates. It's the same principle, though, isn't it? Yeah. The fact that there are these passive peoples out there that are just trampled upon by the Separatists and are easily induced by their their aims and um and and their policies, so to speak, that they don't actually understand. Although in fairness to, to Governor Roshdy, I think we can quite clearly state and and um, enunciate that ultimately Count Duku forced mind tricked in there. He swayed his opinion, didn't he? When Governor Roshdie was there saying, you know, Oh, well we're not sure we want the Separatists here. Why have you come here? Um, you know, you should leave and then he says that line. I insist, and you know, you hear that for. I, I don't know exactly how um, David Accord and and Matt Wooder managed to actually execute that, but it's just reminiscent of the of the late motif of of a force mind trick, really, or mm. an evil force that. act, as it were. <laughs> Sorry,
1: I completely missed that. I thought Dooku, did you miss that? I thought? I thought Dooku was just intimidating him. I thought he was just like. Well, you will just listen force, to me.
2: Horse mind trick. I was, I was completely certain because of that I, I, sound I, I, believe that I you. heard in the background. I'll have to, I'll have to uh, send that to you at the end of this. And, yeah. uh, but anyhow, that's that's neither here nor there, really. But the point of this, as you were saying at the beginning, uh, the fact that they're these passive people easily tramped upon. I think it's a mixture of republic. Weakness, as it were, in terms of their ability to send reinforcements and supplies over, and the fact that these people just—they don't—they don't don't want to believe that they will actually send aid to help them. Whereas the separatists, regardless of how we feel of them as morally, and we and we know that the there are two Sith lords leading the separatists, but ultimately they get there on schedule, and from the outside their motives seem genuine there's a separatist parliament we've seen that already and in the later episode that we'll talk about a friend in need again it seems there are legitimate separatists who are genuine politicians that want to help these civilizations across the galaxy yeah so and it was a long-winded answer but i think it's a mixture of both is where i was coming with that but anyway what's, what's well, your yeah. take on, yeah, on you, this whole thing
1: you mentioned the lerman people they this really reminded me of them because it, it did seem kind of the same idea of like well you know, we're just going to kind of accept our fate when Dooku shows up. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go with him. And, and, you know, it's, it's I guess in, with the Lerman, it was, was George Takei's character instead of, uh, <laughs> instead of Count Dooku. Um, but yeah, it was sort of that, uh, that, that kind of sentiment that, you know, we can't really do anything and, and they, they clearly don't seem to trust the Republic to, to be able to help them and. Which is, which is odd because, you know, they were communicating with Yoda at the beginning of this episode. And, but as you mentioned, 10 rotations, that's a, that's a long time. That's 10 days and a lot can happen in 10 days. Like an entire colony of people can be rounded up and sold into slavery. So it, it, it is a, it's, it's, it's a dark, it's a dark arc. <laughs> um, it's but, a dark yeah, concept, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. For a Saturday morning cartoon, especially, but hey, <laughs> more power to them. Keep doing that do more it our rebels. <laughs> um, uh, anyways, any, anyways, I, I do want to talk a little bit about, uh, let's talk about Anakin. Let's talk about Anakin and Anakin's reaction to, uh, to, to seeing the slavers. It was, we really saw Anakin, Anakin's dark side, dark side start to start to show itself. You know, he, he freaks out and, you know, and then we get the, the information from Obi-Wan that he hasn't really talked about his past. And so, You know, clearly Anakin's past is is is, he has a very difficult relationship with with his past. It's a source of great pain for him. It's Mm. probably it's it's why he's so it's why he's so afraid of losing people like Padme and, and to a to a certain extent Ahsoka. And it's a great big reason for why he fell to the dark side. So you know, to see him basically have to come face to face with it, he really goes full dark side there for a minute. I mean, he he. Grabs that thing and it, it's really dark. And the music in that sequence, the music in the sequence, I was really listening to it, uh, and I was I was trying to place it in my mind, and I couldn't place where that music cue came from from the films, but I could place it. It was in the episode three trailer, and it was sort of when Anakin's going, "I'm not the Jedi I should be," in the, in the trailer, and and it's sort of like wow, because when you think of those those episodes three trailers, they really sold that whole dark side turn very mm-hmm. heavily. I mean, obviously it's the it's the crux of the movie, but it, it it did kind of feel that way. It was very reminiscent of that. And as soon as you start bringing up Episode three and Anakin, then you gotta you got a, a a pretty big you know. Then you gotta that that's that's huge. That's not not something to be glossed over. So so what did you think of of that scene there where Anakin uses the Force to grab that hologram of old Darth Stinar and and crush it?
2: it was definitely uh, a poignant and standout moment in in this episode really as you said it seemed to be at the start at least uh, a routine republic win didn't it um i mean we'll come on to the plot later but in 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 terms of the way this episode had progressed the republic had came in we'd had the big action set piece between the republic speeder bikes and the and the droid commandos on the spe- separatist speeder bikes which by the way that was some great action set pieces at the yeah. beginning wasn't it absolutely fantastic and then we get to the scene when obi-wan's talking with darth Denar and he's saying i'm going to surrender suddenly anakin grabs the hologram as you said force force grabs it smashes it and as you said the audio cues there really reflected his mood at, in that particular scene he it was really full dark side at that point And we should be able to empathise with him to an extent, really. The fact that he has had to grow up in a slaver's world. I mean, I think that's something that we don't... Because it's such a dark concept. I think, in a way, in A Phantom Menace, it's not necessarily uh, as visibly haunting as it as it as it really should be in that sense that we know anakin's a child but it's everyone thinks that was a phantom menace you know jar jar and all comedic but everyone's forgetting anakin here and his mum. they're all in slavery to the huts here i mean that's terrible absolutely horrific for a traumatic experience for these characters
1: and if they do anything wrong there's that chip in the back of their their necks that will blow you up
2: boom yeah exactly Exactly. I mean, you couldn't get much darker than that, to be honest. And, of course, for his his character, Anakin, it's going to be extremely difficult for him to accept slavery in the galaxy and slavers in general when he comes face to face because, really, these slavers are personifications of his tortured and tormented past, are they not? And I think that's something that he's not been able to deal with. And as Obi-Wan says... He's never talked about it. He's never actually imparted this knowledge upon anyone. Ahsoka has has not even been aware of it. She's been patted one to him for a good year or two, I would say. And, again, it's something that he buries deep down inside of him. And when you do that, you're always going to i guess explode as it were into outrage when you suddenly come into contact with it when you encounter it uh I. when you encounter that that the- fear as it were and we all know what yoda says what happens with fear it leads to anger and that's what we see in this scene we just see brutal i guess tangible palpable anger and indignation that- we don't, We see sometimes, but I don't think we've seen it necessarily to this extent, and certainly not in front of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Um, I mean, we see in Episode 2, don't we, The Attack of the Clones, that he's obviously very angry with Obi-Wan, but he's he's with Padme in that scene, isn't he? Yeah. Um, we don't see him react this way, I don't think, to the same extent to Obi-Wan for certain, and, and that in itself is very, very impactful, but what do you wish you would take on, on yeah. Anakin's past and and how that's uh, that's affecting his present demeanor? I mean, can you, I guess, empathize with his character, with the fact that he's grown up living as a slave with the Hutts? And is this, uh, well, is it a natural tendency or a natural um outburst, so to speak?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's very interesting to think about because you mentioned, you know, in The Phantom Menace, what we really see is we see Anakin with Watto and, all things considered, when it comes to to slave owners, it seems like Watto is, is, you know, is about the best you can hope for. You know, I mean, he, he works in the shop. He gets he's building his own pod. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of instances where Watto doesn't seem like he's all that nice a guy. But you know, Anakin and Anakin and Shmi, they have somewhere to live that's decent. I mean, that looks like a a, a family home. Uh, you know, a small one, but you know, it's still home for those guys. Uh, and that that's. So you know you think about that and you like, okay, well, how 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 horrible an experience was Anakin as a slave? But then you have to remember that before Watto owned him, Gardula the Hut owned him, and as we've seen in 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 the Clone Wars, Gardula is, is not a nice person. She's not a nice person, and uh it doesn't seem like her slaves are 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 have the same level of. I don't know what the right term is, but you know they're not they're not. She doesn't keep her slaves the way Watto keeps his. Where you know they have somewhere to go. Uh, it seems like they probably sleep in cages. If you work for Gardula. so it seems like there. There's probably a bit of Anakin's past that we don't know about that really informs this heavier hatred of of slavery, and it's it's something uh, that you know I, I I I look at the prequels and I wonder if at a, at a one point there had been there would have been there was more of an idea. For something to do with slaves that would have driven Anakin more towards the dark side, um, but ultimately it turned out not to be the case. It just was one of the many things that that drove him him towards the dark side. But yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting to think about because you look at Episode One. It's like, well, it's not good, but it's not bad either necessarily. I mean, it's bad, but it's it's not as bad as it could be.
2: It's not as tangible. I mean, if you think of films that would focus on slavery, mm-hmm. such as Twelve Years a yeah. Slave, when they make it so brutal and and you see the suffering and the, and the harsh conditions that they have to endure, you don't really see that with Anakin. You see him in a pod race and he wins, and it's all hunky dory, really. You know, yeah. um, it's all happy days, as it were. We don't see the suffering that he's had to endure, and I think that's something that we 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 can realize and recognize. In this particular episode, and particularly in that scene, when he as I said, he just explodes in in anger and and ill temper because of the of the past and how that's really inf- affected him yeah i mean' it's, it's, it, what I think is interesting with this as well is as you said it's it goes to demonstrate that there were multiple reasons. Why Anakin fell to the dark side, and this was certainly one of them. Yeah, and slavery and the past that he's had to had to deal with.
1: And yeah, and you know we've mentioned the whole thing about you know it doesn't show him necessarily suffering, but just you know physical suffering is is not the only form of suffering that there is. I mean, we see in these episodes Obi Wan's mental. Suffering and very, you know, there could be a, Anakin could have known had some friends who were also slaves on Tatooine and they could have had masters who were much crueler than Wado and you know, and they could have been killed or, or tortured by these, these masters and that could add to Anakin's hatred of, of slavery. I mean. Well, I mean, everybody hates slavery. I mean, I think think that's pretty safe to say, but it would add to Anakin's personal experience with slavery.
2: What I think as well is with this, just to finish on this point, is the fact that I can imagine Anakin blaming a large part of his mother's death on the fact that she was a slave. Mm. The fact that she couldn't leave with Anakin when he went to the Jedi Temple. Yeah. She stayed there. And was owned by Watto and Gardula. Eventually, sold to somebody else who he's never ever Cooley met before. Glass, yeah. And then she was kidnapped by Tuscan raiders. Well, yeah. I, again, regardless of whether this Owen I mean, Lars and not Owen I mean, Lars, even Cooley. his father uh, is. I can't remember how it ever related, but anyway, it's Shmi's wife, uh, Shmi's <laughs> husband. This is not going well, is it?
1: it out. <laughs> come on, come on! You gotta know. The, you don't. You, what do you mean you don't know the Lars family tree? Come on, oh, call yourself dear. a Star Wars,
2: I'm a true Star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, it, the point is, Anakin would really blame a lot of that, a lot of his suffering, and and the fact that his mother died on this aspect of slavery, which is something he's never really going to forgive. Um, that what I, that's why i think as well he really has this just great loathing and detestation yeah. when it comes to anything to do with slavery but more importantly when he encounters slavers themselves
1: yeah yeah I, I think you're right i think so much of of what happened to anakin was part of the fact was was in, was due to his mother to the, the death of his mother and as you mentioned he may he Probably blamed slavery for for that because you look at at, at Anakin, he he is always trying to help his mother. He's he's pod racing partially because he thinks it's fun, but probably because Watto has probably promised him, you know, money or or what have you to his mother uh, that he can give to his mother. He's building three PO as he says to help mom around the house, all that kind of stuff. And he wanted to become a Jedi and save his mother, and he you know all that happened. And then he wasn't able to, and so Anakin, as much as he blames himself, at a certain point he's probably going to turn and, and look and blame at sla- blame slavery, uh, and that, and of course that we all know where that leads him. And, and I do want to say quickly about the Phantom Menace. We we did mention a lot of you know the way slavery was portrayed, and that we have to also keep in mind that that's just a snapshot of what Anakin's life on on Tatooine was. Hmm. You know, the Phantom Menace is in many ways a a, a prologue. To the, the overall story. I'm not saying that in the way that, that some people say and that you can skip it. I don't think you can. I think it's very crucial to the overall story. Um, but oh, it I'm, is, it... it is definitely setting up a lot of things and giving you some backstory on, on a lot of things. And, uh, it just gives you this one snapshot of a certain moment in time in Anakin's life where maybe this was a good, good point. Um, but, you know, growing up, you know, having lived with huts and, and been a slave his whole life, uh, obviously it's, uh, well,
2: it wasn't as graphic, though, and I think we really saw the graphic side in Attack of the Clones when he went back to Tatooine to rescue his mum. I think that was really when you could sympathise with his character and what he's actually had to... what he's been subjected to, really, throughout his entire life. When you see the the visible scars on his mother and she's bleeding, she's, she's got that rope tied around that log. And we know that was due to the Tusken Raiders, but ultimately you could, i could I could see how slavers and and well people who were enslaved that would be the type of things that they would have to suffer and endure now, as you said, water was was clearly one of the most benign slavers, I guess you could have, yeah. and we didn't see any of those physical marks left upon Anakin or his, or his mother in the Phantom Menace, but again the the, the Snapshot that we see in the, in the Phantom Menace just wasn't made as clear as what we see in this arc. I mean, we'll come on to a scene in Slavers of the Republic right at the beginning when that, um, oh, is it a Felucian character, as it were? Uh, d- um, yeah, well, a rope maybe from right, right off even when he he falls down, and then that, uh, the the prime minister says, Get up, you useless scug, and he's got his whip at the ready about mm-hmm. to strike him. That's the type of elements and 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 the type of thing I guess I would expect to see more when it came to slavery and as you said, something like that, of course, for Anakin must be absolutely tormenting.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I I just want to clarify a point I was trying to make a second ago. I I don't think I made it the way I wanted to. I when Anakin leaves Tatooine he makes that promise to to Shmi that he will come back and, and save her. And he you know, he's been close with his mother for his entire life. She it's been only them, basically. For, for nine years. And so he's then taken away from her and he's not allowed to see her at all. The Jedi will not let him go back, the Jedi, of course, being so stuck in their ways. And so Anakin is thinking about his mother, he's thinking about freeing her, he's thinking about freeing her. And when he finally does go back, uh, it's too late to save her and she winds up dead. And obviously he's he's thinking to himself that, you know, he probably should have or he the Jedi should have let him go back and, and freed her long ago and that would lead to him Blaming, blaming slavery. Maybe not necessarily blaming Watto, but blaming slavery and blaming the Jedi. Again, and, and both of those are, are things that lead to his downfall. Alright, let's, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the, uh, this, I guess the, 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 the really this whole Anakin thing just at the beginning is kind of a, su- a subplot in the first episode. And the overall plot is you have Obi-Wan going and facing this Darth Stenar character. And just basically letting himself get beat up for 20 <laughs> minutes. He goes in there, and basically demands a trial by combat, um, and gets beat up by, by darts, uh, while Anakin goes and, and, and diffuses the bombs. And we see Anakin and Ahsoka working together, uh, and, and it really just some fun action. Really, it, it's an interesting way to start the arc because, you know, you get in with, with just, you know, Anakin and, and Ahsoka running around diffusing bombs, uh, having, you know, Classic Jedi adventure, and then it's the second episode where things really, really get get dark. Where things really, we really start to get into these uh, to the slavers. Um. So yeah, let's let's get into the the second one a, a little bit because I think there's I think you know as, as interesting as the first one is uh, as much and as important to the story as it is. I think the second one is where the really the really the the meat of this episode is where the the most mm. interesting stuff happens. So Let's start off just by talking about uh undercover Anakin, Ahsoka and Rex and Obi-Wan. I, I love this. I love the jet, Jedi going undercover. I thought that was a an interesting uh an interesting adventure, but um I want to talk about Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan seems to make a dumb mistake in this. He makes a pretty dumb mistake. He he tries to rescue the uh the 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 head Governor of, Rosh- yeah, the, Rosh- yeah, he tries to gov- res- rescue Governor Roshdi, and he basically winds up getting himself caught. It seemed like a... It, that didn't seem very Obi-Wan. That seemed like Obi-Wan acting very rashly. Like, he didn't think that through, <laughs> I don't think. Um, it, it, it seemed more like something Anakin would do. And I'm curious uh, what your take is on, on that sequence with Obi-Wan. I don't... I don't
2: really understand why he did that. It's quite quite hard to... To comprehend, as it were, as you said, he immediately jumps in there and, you know, rather than doing the sensible thing, which would be, you know, I know where Governor Rosti is located. Let's get out of here and we can go and uh, rescue him with Anakin or something and then get out of the planet or something. At least wait for an opportunity where it was a lot more viable, not when there were tons of Zigerian slavers about, <laughs> uh, yeah. clearly at watch <laughs> over the slavers' pier, as you would expect. And to me, that was just... It was it was a little bit uh, a little bit foolish, I would say, of him. You know, when I you know when I used that quote earlier, who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Well, I, I don't know which category Obi Wan fits into, but basically it was, just, wolf, it was it it? just it was just it was just empty headed and 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 just dumb yeah. dumb of him really to do that. If I was being honest, he goes out there, he gets he gets Governor Roshji and then immediately one of the <laughs> one of the Sigerian slavers says what are you doing with that slave? And he's just like, quick, let's get him on here and run. And it's just, no, it, it was never going to work. But I guess for the purpose of the story's sake, it meant that Obi-Wan was captured. Yeah. And, of course, I get linking back to this arc, though... Um, Sorry, looking back to the previous episode when Obi-Wan <laughs> does get beat up by a <laughs> so dark suffering arm.
1: from a concussion, and that's yeah, why he's not thinking it. right. You know
2: what? He took a heavy beating, <laughs> didn't he? Let's be honest. He was struggling mixes. through that fight. Game of Thrones-esque that fight was, yeah, by the really, way. Yeah. And he absolutely took a hammering, to yeah. say the least, well, in we that talk-
1: one. In... in, in- In hockey, they're always talking about concussion-like symptoms. I think that was Obi-Wan's concussion-like symptoms. I think if Yoda had been been watching this, he probably would have gone, send somebody else and not ready for this Obi-Wan is. Need time in the (laughs) hospital, he does. Uh, of course, Yoda would laugh at the end of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, but yeah, it, it was it was an interesting decision, and I, I don't I don't want to write it off just as well. They needed to get Obi Wan captured, so yeah. I, I wonder. I really wonder why Obi Wan would do that. I you almost wonder if Obi Wan thinks, well, these are just sort of the scum of the earth. Is, is, is this kind of that Jedi arrogance coming through that he thinks he can just do this? That you know these guys aren't going to be paying attention, or is maybe Obi Wan Trying to act like Anakin? Because there's that episode, um, oh, it's in the, uh, it's in the, <laughs> in the story reels. In the story reels where, um, you know, Obi-Wan says something and, and to Yoda, Yoda says, you know, don't act, don't act like that. And, you know, they're, they're communicating over calmly and, and Obi-Wan hangs up. It's like, don't telling me not to do that. You do that all the time, Anakin. And nobody tells you not to do it. <laughs> Why are they telling me not to do it? So I, I wonder if Obi-Wan, this is, this is Anakin sort of Anakin's influence on Obi-Wan because, you know, he sort of thought, well, maybe, maybe I could do that. You know, if, if Anakin were here, he'd probably do that and he could get away with it. And so I, it, was a, it was an interesting choice by Obi-Wan, but uh, as you mentioned, he, he gets caught and meanwhile, Anakin is off <laughs> seducing the queen. And is, is there something about Anakin that makes him like irresistible to to, to queens? Because this is the second one. First, we had Queen Amidala. Now we've got the, the queen of the, the Nigerian slavers, and they're all they both fall like madly in love with him. <laughs> what is it about Anakin that the the royals uh, can't stay away from him?
2: I. I don't get it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I don't think Ahsoka got it either, to, yeah. to be fair, because she saw her roll her eyes as he was saying all of those lines. You're the brightest star in the, in the <laughs> planetary system or something like that. And I'm just thinking Anakin. Uh, to be honest, I preferred the bit when he whispered in her ear, so I yeah, couldn't hear what he was saying, <laughs> to be fair. And it seemed to have the most effect on her as well. Yeah. So I just, I, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a strange one, really, but maybe he just has that. As he put it, magnetic charm. Everyone didn't seem to believe it, and neither did Ahsoka, To be fair, yeah. but somehow he manages to pull it off. Nice. I mean, may, maybe we could we could wreck on it and say maybe he was using a Jedi mind trick or something. But uh, I know I, I, I think uh, it's
1: more fun if he if he wasn't. I think it's funnier if he yes. wasn't. <laughs> I think it it just works out that way. Um, yeah,
2: to be fair, I don't think it was a high yeah. mind trick, but no, it was it was it was quite interesting to see their relationship blossoming.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's strange. It's strange. Well, did, did do you think he cared for her at all over there? No. No, the- no, no,
2: no, no, not at all. He saw her for what she truly yeah. was, which was as a, a slaver queen. I have. Why would he have any affection for someone like that? And obviously we, we, we come on to it later, but the scene at the slave, at the end of the Slaves of the Republic, when they have that, that talk about whether he should stay or um, would he stay willingly by her side, I I have no doubt in my mind that he would have left as soon as, as, soon as he knew Obi, if, if he knew that Obi-Wan and Ahsoka were safe. His ties are still with Padme. Padme to him mm-hmm. is everything. Yeah. To me, I, I just can't well, I, see enough yeah, to distance himself from that, to be fair. I think it was just a, it was an act. It was a very, very o- convinced, authentic convinced. act. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was an exceptional act. Bearing in mind what we'd seen in Kidnap, by the way, whenever he had encountered a slaver, the first thing he did was destroy that hologram. Yep. And then the next time he saw one, he put a lightsaber up to his head. So, yeah. you know he he did very well to act in a quite calm and <laughs> civilized manner so to speak
1: but, yeah. yeah what did you
2: make what did you make yeah well okay I, do you have a different take
1: no no i, I don't i don't think he uh, uh i don't think he, he 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 cared about her at all i i'm with you and I, I, I don't think there was any doubt of uh uh of of him and padme in in this sequence or these episodes uh I don't think she, she, she would never compete with, with, with Padme. Um, and I, and when I mentioned that did he care for her, I don't mean in a, in a romantic sense. I just mean maybe he started to empathize with her or have some sort of, uh, protective feelings towards her or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, but I don't think so. I think he, he saw her as a slaver for the entire time and, and treated her as such. Um,
2: well, I think the, I think the evidence is clear throughout the slaves that are Republic public hand escape from Cadarvo. Again, we don't know how long the time span was between those two episodes, but after he is pretending to be this Lars Quell character, yeah. and the then way, he wakes Lars, up in the bed. First thing he does,
1: sorry. By the way, Lars, that's a good, good, good callback, Anakin. Good callback to episode two. Remember using, using the name from from his past. Ah, uh, very true. Actually, yeah, that was a good. It's name, like to it's be like fair. in the uh, seventh Harry Potter book when 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 he gets captured by the uh, the death when Harry gets captured by the Death Eaters and he tells them his name is Vernon Dudley. It's one of those moments.
2: Absolutely. You know, <laughs> that was a very good alias to choose, to choose from, Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, there. exactly. And I, I Kudos think that, to
1: Henry Gilroy for coming up with that. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, that no, is. Well, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm praising Anakin Skywalker. He's a fictional character. <laughs> yeah, what, I mean job, to be, what I mean to be doing is commending Henry Gilroy and Stephen Melchit for their work. But anyhow, anyhow um, the point I was trying to make was that after he had as you said courted her and uh, used his beguile charm as it were to to try and seduce her he then woke up in the bed and <laughs> immediately force choked her so to be honest i think it was quite obvious that yeah. he had no real ties with with her because she still she she really was this uh, humanizing and 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 symbol this yeah, it's a humanizing symbol of slavery, really, yeah. which could be embodied in a leader who was beginning to found their slaver empire once again. That's that surely would be his motivation there is uh, to ultimately save his friends and, and end their rule. Which I, I do wanna make a point when we come to the end of this, uh is, is quite fitting that they they don't actually end the saigerian yeah. empire but anyway we'll come on we'll come on to that point a little bit later and yeah. um i'll pass i'll pass back the questions over to you
1: yeah yeah well I, you mentioned uh the, the whole thing with the queen how she is sort of a different sort of she's not what we expect when we think of a slaver. we expect someone a little bit more a bit more like darts Dinar who just wants to to fist fight and stuff and she's one of those one of those villains where you know you almost feel like she could be a, a a regular person. Like she could just be someone who exists in the galaxy and is friends with, with, you know, all the, all of our main characters and stuff. But then, you know, then you see one of her slaves try and kill her. And then the slave kills, kills herself after, you know, failing to do so. And you realize, oh yeah, she's not that nice a person. And, and, you know, she gives Anakin that, that ultimatum, which, which we'll get to in a second about, uh, who to say? But let's talk about the the slave uh, the slave auction. I mean, Obi Wan is getting getting auctioned off, and uh, and and, and um, the queen makes a statement that all the Jedi are a slave to the Republic. And I so I, I want want to know what you think. Are the Jedi a slave to the Republic?
2: Absolutely, they are. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> and you know what? That was a great line because that was immediately. When I heard that, I just thought to myself, she's right. She yeah. is completely correct, and the Jedi are blind to it. They are blind to it. And it's, it's it's a common theme throughout these episodes, really, this relationship between, between I guess, master and apprentice, or at least the notion of a slaver and, and, and someone who is a slave. Um, and clearly, the Jedi are slaves of the Republic. They enact the Republic and the Chancellor's bidding and will, And inevitably, you could argue, when one's had enough of one slave, they eliminate them. And Mm. that's exactly what uh, Palpatine does with Order 66. It's something that they just aren't aware of. And it's so... That's great dramatic irony there, really, isn't it? For the audience who have seen the films, for sure. um, They know that she's completely correct in her statement there, that they are slaves to the Republic. And really... I, I, sh- auctioning off Obi Wan, or well, it wasn't it wasn't auctioning off. It was at least uh, exhibiting Obi Wan in that arena there. After we had just seen uh, the Governor Roshi and fifty thousand slave or Groot Slavers were just off, uh, you know, for sale. It really just diminished his his dignity, but also his his standing, really his authority as as this peacekeeper when he's just being auctioned off and it really foreshadows what the Jedi would really be facing in the Galactic Empire, which is clearly not in a too distant future. The fact that they are you know, they they are just I guess this not, not well. They are in a way impotent and, and and weak because they have to keep themselves in hiding, and then when they do reveal themselves, then they will be captured by the Empire or mm-hmm. executed by the Inquisitors. Yeah. Oh, and it's just it, it, it's it's one of those graphic and and standout moments, I think, particularly in the Clone Wars. I would say when you see that scene, um, and later when she orders Anakin to to use that whip and strike obi-wan yeah um and also the scene just before that when obi-wan's in the cell and that slaver is again whipping him it really puts them in a, a jeopardous position and and a really weakening place that we've never actually seen before i would visibly at least in in the clone wars particularly by these sentient groups which aren't separatists but they are—they're part of the third element of the underworld, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And they're just using and abusing these Jedi to to their end, which I think is just a standout moment. But again, I, I like going on these tangents. But <laughs> coming back to the slave auction part itself, I think that yeah, it was—they are slaves to the Republic. The yeah. Jedi are obviously slaves to the Republic. They're slaves to the Chancellor. Slaves and to the Sith, almost. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And. And we see that in the in the Escape from Cadaver with the machinations of um, Sidious and Dooku when they have their conversation, and what Yoda alludes to at the end of Kidnapped that there is a darker hand at play here. And it's just it's fascinating, isn't it, to to see how close the Jedi are to discovering it? Yet they just they're still enshrouded it's
0: still enshrouded
2: yeah. in mystery that they don't they don't see who the Sith are and. And the fact that they've been manipulated this entire time, but did, did, I, I'm assuming that you took a a similar take. Oh, yeah. on on that on that line on then. that
1: line. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. And the Jedi are, are clearly slaves to the Republic, and nothing uh, shows that better than the end of season five, when the Jedi are basically strong-armed by the Republic. Into yep. expelling Ahsoka so that she can be put on trial as a civilian or or, or or put into military court, I guess, and she can be sentenced to death. They're basically they are that's that's the moment really where it's that everything becomes clear that the Jedi are no longer autonom, autonom, autonomous. Why couldn't I say that word Auton- autonomous from from the uh, from from the Republic? And it's clear that that. At one time was true because we saw in season two, you know, when Obi-Wan goes to Mandalore and he speaks with Satine and, and she says, you know, this is the Republic interfering in our affairs. And Obi-Wan says, my investigation was ordered by the Jedi Council. And she sort of backs off like, oh, okay, okay, difference, difference. They're, di- they're, they're, they are different. And then in these episodes, we see, well, may- maybe not so much. Or in those episodes, we see not so much anymore. They are one and the same. The Jedi are just, an arm of the Republic to be used by the chancellor to do his bidding. And I I wonder if that whole Ahsoka thing was perhaps a test by the chancellor to see if he really had the Jedi under his complete control at that point, because I, I feel like, you know, during the Valorum era, there was still a little bit of difference, but as soon as the war began and the Jedi were suddenly generals in this fight, it was all over for them. They were slaves to the Republic. And they may have fought that at the beginning, they may have tried to avoid that, but that Ahsoka that Ahsoka trial pretty much proves that nope, they are just slaves to the Republic. And the Queen was right. She was right. She called it. She she saw what the Jedi could not see.
2: Which... But you know what do you know what's great about that is that these villainous characters are the ones that are informing the Jedi and apprising them of the fact that they are the slaves. They're telling them the truth the same way that Count Dooku repeatedly tells Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker that the Chancellor is a Sith Lord in all all but pretty much what he states there and the Jedi are in disbelief. They believe it's an incredulous statement and it can't be true. Yet here we have echoes of that with her... Stating that Obi Wan is a slave to the Republic. Yeah. Again, you know, there's, there's no real <gasps> shock on on Obi Wan's part, <laughs> as it were. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah. He, he doesn't become aghast by what he hears. He is obviously just. You know, He doesn't believe it. And and that to me is the, the just another element really, and an, another exhibition of the tragic fall of the Jedi, as you said there. The fact that they were just unaware. Of what was going on around them
1: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um so I, i'm actually going to skip over a little bit of the uh of the actual the actual uh, auction and what happens there because i, I want to use it for a point later so okay. we're going to skip over that we're going to come back to it i promise um uh when we start talking about the beginning of the third episode uh but i do want to talk about the queen's ultimatum because we've, we kept mentioning that we kept mentioning that she tells anakin she will release his friends. She will release Anakin or she will release Obi Wan, Ahsoka, and Rex if he stays her bodyguard. And Anakin can't answer it. And it it brings up an, an interesting question. Is Anakin Well or, 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 what's the right thing to do in that situation? Is the right thing to do, as as the Queen seems to suggest, for Anakin to stay and be her bodyguard and to let uh, o- o- Obi-Wan and Ahsoka and Rex go? Or should Anakin stay committed to this sort of, to, or should Anakin, you know, keep not be, or, you know, try and find a way out of this? Because Anakin obviously doesn't want to go back to being a slave, but he is. He's probably trying to figure out a way out of it. And it's a very interesting ultimatum for Anakin, and it leaves him in a, a very precarious place, kind of. In a you know, Ahsoka's left at a precarious per- perch, literally. Anakin, it, figuratively. Um, so I'm curious, what did you think of that whole ultimatum and and Anakin really not being able to, you know, give her an answer?
2: I think mean, it's because he has those contradictory thoughts within his his persona within his mind. I'm I wouldn't be surprised to be honest. Mm-hmm. He probably thinks to himself. Oh, he's probably had these thoughts about leaving the Jedi Order. I wouldn't yeah. – I would not be surprised to well, he be Well, he tells Ahsoka
1: Pretty- he had those thoughts. He tells her in the, the season five finale.
2: Yeah. Well, exactly. And and what we later see in Revenge of the Sith in that first half of the film at least when he has his conversations with the chancellor. Yep. When his trust in the, in the Jedi is shaken. I am sure that it wasn't just shaken in that film, but it's been shaken for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And one of those is what we alluded to earlier is what happened to his mother. He in part blames the Jedi for that. And he clearly believes and perceives that the upbringing he had within the Jedi Order is not what he at first initially envisioned. It's not the glorious and the heroic side of of uh, you know, or imagine, you know, imaginative piece, as it were, that he has concocted in his mind. Uh, you know, the fact that he believed he would be the hero, he would save his mother, and there would be you know, laudits lord, and and uh, plaudits of 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 glory towards him. He that's not what he's received. He's you know, he's been really put down by the Jedi for showcasing any of those traits. To be honest, and. Maybe he thinks in his mind, if I'm bodyguard to this queen, that uh, I can be free of those ties. I can... I'm free to love who I want. Mm-hmm. I'm free to help who I want. Um And that's something that clearly he must, must be thinking to himself, it's not... Maybe it's not a bad idea at all. It's the same way that, uh you know, talking about Game of Thrones earlier, it's similar <laughs> to those in the Night's Watch when they of course, have their obligations when they join there to announce all claims, uh, to, to... Denounce all ren- claims. To, to, <laughs> that's it, that's what I was trying to say, not renounce. To try and uh, denounce all claims to marriage and... Uh, land, you know, and, 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 and Yeah, exactly, land, crowns, territories, and all of that stuff. The same way that as a Jedi, you have to denounce... That's the right word there. Mm-hmm. You have to denounce your uh, you know, your ability to love and your ability to be selfish. Really, yeah. you're supposed to be selfless. And clearly, if Anakin was to choose this and become her bodyguard, it would be a selfish action. Um, but that's that, that's something that clearly you could un- you could you could understand from what we've seen here in Anakin's past why he would be tempted by this fact.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But ultimately, he would never go through it through with it. With her, at least, not with the
1: Queen.
0: Yeah, and uh, I, I, he
2: would be prepared to do that with someone like uh, I don't know, Palpatine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think yeah, there's probably a, also a, a bit that he just doesn't trust the Queen. Like I, I no. think that he may wonder that if if she says she's going to release them, really she's just going to kill them.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, They're Anakin.
1: Also... Anakin obviously does, has no trust in these people. He does not trust them at all, and with good reason. You, you shouldn't trust them. Um, no, and. Because I could totally see that. I could see him saying, "Oh yeah, fine, I'll I'll stay and be your bodyguard," thinking, you know, maybe he'll he'll just kill her as soon as she releases Obi Wan and Ahsoka, and instead she orders their death. That's a pretty, it's a pretty dark, uh, dark twist there.
2: Um, Do you know what makes me fascinated about the for, about the imagery and and the the audio cues as well as the conversation they had there? To me, I thought it was really relatively reminiscent and and correlated to the Palpatine and Anakin relationship in a way, mm-hmm. the, the, the fact that she tries to seduce Anakin with these, I guess, uh, you know, with not, not, not her magnetic charm at least, but with hope and, and, and really to accomplish what he ultimately yearns for. And that is heroic. Um, well, it's glory, power, love. All of those are being offered to him by the queen in a similar way that if you stay here be my bodyguard i'll release your friends they will survive he wants his friends to live of course and you will also have the opportunity to do really whatever you want as i said before you can love whoever you want and you can have power you're next to the one of the most powerful beings in the galaxy as the head of the zigerian empire mm-hmm. all of those elements there similar to what Albertine talks about in episode three, you could be the most powerful Jedi in the galaxy, you are the most wisest, and I will help you save your wife from death. All of these promises, and to me, those are the the statements, and and really, those are the main influences which will ultimately induce Anakin to follow. And that's another reason why I think he may well have been swayed by what she says, because of what she's offering something that the Jedi thus far have been unable to
1: yeah yeah it's it it she she really sort of taps into a, an interesting part of Anakin into a part of his psyche uh where he you know he doesn't know what to do he doesn't know what to do he he's' just, Anakin seems like somebody who he wants he, he 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 thought he knew what he wanted as a kid, he wanted to be a jedi. Um, and he maybe was disillusioned disillusioned by that fact. I think actually he was dis- disillusioned. I don't think there's a maybe in there. And so you know these sort of these opportunities that are presented to him to get out are very interesting because well one we know that he's eventually going to take one of those and probably the worst one possible. Um, but it, it does kind of tap into this sort of this part of Anakin that you know he he wanted to be a Jedi. It, it's clear in Episode One. He wants to be a Jedi more than more than anything, and it wound up not being what he expected. And as a result, he, he wound up going to the dark side and and being the the, you know, the right hand man of the evil tyrant uh, for who knows how long. So these are interesting moments when he gets that that option uh, because you you wonder if there's a part of him that wants to take it, even in this situation where he's faced with a slaver, with his you know his sworn enemy, almost more so than the Sith. Is, is slavery and, and you know these are the people that killed his mother in his mind. You know, he, you know what's he,
2: interesting as well is that in, in this episode here, the fact that um, – sorry, in a later episode of Escape from Cadaver when they have the hologram between Count Dooku and Darth Sidious and Sidious tells Dooku or, – orders him to end her rule if she does not see the error of her ways. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? That's worked in twofold for him. Not only has he managed to gain control of the Zygerian Empire, but if there were any thoughts that Anakin may well have had about joining her, well, they would have been ended because she was gone, and then he would have no one else to turn to again. It's one of those things that Palpatine manages to do, is just knock off the people around him and leaving Anakin isolated, alienated from his friends and his family, and... Palpatine is the only savior in that in that count
1: yeah absolutely absolutely all right let's 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 start off let's talk about the this third episode and, and this is what I want to say about uh the way that this, the second episode ends and the third episode begins it is so bleak and they did mm-hmm. such a great job of making it seem the most bleak it could possibly be I mean we have Ahsoka dangling from The edge in this cage. You have Anakin faced with this impossible ultimatum. You have Obi Wan in these slave mines after watching a whole bunch of slaves being dropped to their death in a bottomless pit. And on top of that, Dooku is on his way with Sidious, or and he's talking to Sidious. And everything in that moment seems to be lost. Nothing is going right. I mean, we go back to that the the slavers auction. And they build it up like this is going to be the big heroic moment. It's just like Return of the Jedi. They're all doing the nod. And R2 shoots out the lightsabers. And there's even the music cue of the, mm-hmm. the, the Star Wars main theme, which is the heroic moment where everything is about to go right. And instead, Anakin and Obi-Wan both get captured. And so does Ahsoka. And everything is going wrong. And just when all hope is lost, there's such a great moment in this when R2 rolls in. That for me was like, Oh my God. Thank goodness. (laughs) There's somebody is still free. And here is R2 and R2 is coming to save the day. And it was done so brilliantly because R2 is, is one of those characters. R2 always saves the day. R2 is everyone's favorite character. Everybody loves R2 D2. And we've just watched all of our heroes just be put in the worst possible position, just be beat down for an entire episode. and, 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 it just seems like all hope is lost and R2 comes rolling in and it was just such a great moment because he didn't even really have to do anything. All he had to do was just roll up and, and, and tweetle a little bit. That's all we needed. And all of a sudden it's sort of like, okay, there's a chance there's hope again. R2 is the new hope of these episodes. It, it was, <laughs> it was just done so well. And I just have to give uh, such, such kudos to the, the writing and then the directing on these episodes because they did that. They pulled off that moment so well. And it was—it's it, just—it's a, a, such a subtle shot. It's not like a heroic shot or anything. Our dude doesn't come blasting in and start taking down people. He just kind of rolls into the scene, and it and shouldn't—it's and a shot that shouldn't be be uh, that or that wouldn't be significant under normal situations. But because we've just watched everything go wrong. That it all of a sudden it's like oh thank goodness R two is here there's still hope and and I just I just have to just had to call attention to that scene because that is just one of my my favorite moments really from the entire series it was it was pulled off so so well.
2: Oh, I completely concur if you're there Dominic I think it was just a, a great a great scene to show that as you said not everything was lost we we'd seen the carpet pulled from under the hero's feet as it were mm-hmm. and there was. There was a shining light in this bleak, haunting, and just incredibly dark tunnel. And R2 is certainly the most fitting character to come and rescue our heroes, as it were.
1: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's get into Obi-Wan as a slave. This was a really interesting sequence, and it's another one of those firsts in in star wars filmmaking it's not something we've seen before where this the queen is telling dooku about what she's doing to obi-wan and i guess since we've already made a couple of game of thrones references i'll make a third one here um, it's kind of it's kind of like ramsey bolton and theon Greyjoy, um, yes. yeah really just beating the uh the uh you know the the will Jesus. the, the drive <laughs> the drive out of him not not using necessarily the same tactics um, but you know, it's, it's a similar, they're driving towards a similar goal. Uh, but anyways, it's, it's, it's done in such a way that, that, you know, it's, it's a first in Star Wars filmmaking, as I mentioned, uh, with the voiceover over Obi-Wan in those slave pits, just like toiling away and, and really having his, his will be broken. And, uh, Dave Maloney said in the, uh, in the video commentary for this, that comes on the Blu-ray, um, that at one point the ending of the episode was a little bit more about Obi Wan telling Anakin that he sort of understood the slavery thing a little bit more, and I really wish they had have gone with that ending. I mean, the ending that they that they chose is is okay. It, it was interesting to see Ahsoka interacting with um with the governor. Governor was it Rashti, Rashti? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was interesting, um, but I really feel like that was a, a missed opportunity not to go with the uh, with with the Anakin Obi Wan thing because that's, that's really what it does. Is it sh- it shows this sort of Bond building between Anakin and obi-wan and and it gives you that that bigger sense of why they are uh, they are close and that's one of those things that you know obi-wan I don't think really ever understood about Anakin and now he understands it and in terms of of of, of you know just storytelling from you know if if we didn't know what was coming next, this would almost seem like this could have been a a moment that Ani- that obi-wan used to help put Anakin on the right path. And, you know, you do think that if in different situations, I think Obi-Wan could have helped Anakin. Mm -hmm. But uh, as we see in Revenge of the Sith, he has to go fight General Grievous and instead Anakin has to turn to Palpatine, uh, who pretends to understand. And that's the thing. Palpatine has pretended to understand from the very beginning. Whereas Obi-Wan, I think Obi-Wan kind of wanted Anakin to just get over it. Which is uh, which is kind of kind of horrible to say, but I I do think that that was sort of the Jedi mantra is that they want Anakin to start thinking about being a a regular Jedi to start forgetting his old life, which is a horrible mistake, and we see the consequences of them in Revenge of the Sith. Um, But it is it did kind of seem that way, and
2: to detach himself from his emotions.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so this
2: I I think I think that's the important part that, Mm -hmm. as you said, Obi Wan did understand and. To be honest, had he not gone to Utapau to face Grievous, he may well have helped have Anakin on on that road to recovery. But as you said, he went to Utapau, and that left Anakin isolated. And the only one left to turn to was a mentor who he had believed trusted. It was a trusted mentor Mm -hmm. throughout his entire life. Unfortunately, ended up being the most evil person, evil and malevolent. A Sith Lord in the galaxy, but you know yeah. different strokes for different folks, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well but then it's another thing to think for Obi Wan to think about on Tatooine between three and four. I and mean, it's 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 yeah. that thing I, 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 I think it was, was Jason Swank of, of Rebel Force Radio who said the the tragedy of Obi Wan Kenobi and sort yeah. of that guilt that he has to live with. And this is just another one of those things of well, all of a sudden he understands it. And so when he's thinking about everything he did wrong on Tatooine, when he's just thinking about everything that didn't, that he could have done and should have done. And because, you know, that's probably what he wound up doing a lot, a lot of his time when he wasn't training with, with Yoda and Qui-Gon was, was thinking about all of this, trying to understand what happened. And this is probably one of those things that he comes back to and sort of goes, Oh my God, I, 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 I messed up. I, I should have dealt with Anakin's slavery in a different way because – but I didn't know at the time. I mean for the first 12 years of their relationship, Obi-Wan had no idea what this was like for Anakin. He had no way of, of understanding or of helping Anakin or of, of, of dealing with this with Anakin until this moment. And it's almost like this is too late. It's almost like Obi-Wan finds out too late what it was like for Anakin. And that at this point, it, he doesn't have time doesn't have that time to start repairing things for Anakin. doesn't have the time to start helping Anakin all of a sudden. And this is probably one of those things that he's going to be thinking about on Tatooine and just wishing he could have done something about that differently.
2: Well, absolutely. And you have to remember as well that particularly when Anakin was a boy, I think that his – True mentor would have been Qui Gon
1: Jinn. Oh, absolutely. And
2: I and I think Qui Gon Jinn would have understood and yeah. treated Anakin very, very differently.
1: Well, Qui Gon
2: And not to not to, to not to say that how Obi Wan's relationship with went. Sorry, how Obi Wan's relationship with Anakin progressed. It wasn't some. They had a close bond. There was close affection there. And, and as I said, had an, had Obi Wan stayed on Coruscant in Revenge of the Sith, he may well have helped repair a lot of the psychological damage that had. That Anakin had suffered throughout his time in the Clone Wars, but I just think that Qui-Gon Jinn would have taken a, a far, diff- far better approach. I guess is the word I'm looking for in terms of placing Anakin in the right frame of mind and and being there as as more of a mentor, a wise mentor. That was what Anakin really wanted. And that's why he turned to Palpatine. That's Mm -hmm. why he turned to Palpatine, because that was the figurehead, really. Palpatine, in a way, was the Qui-Gon Jinn that that Anakin had had idolised, as it were, in in The Phantom Menace. But obviously he didn't turn out to be that way. That was the facade that Palpatine had put on. But Mm -hmm. you can see, to me at least, as a child... You know, Qui Gon and stood up for Anakin. Qui Gon said, "I'm going to train this boy, no matter what happens." Obi Wan didn't say that, and of yeah. course, Anakin didn't hear what Obi Wan said behind his back. But he said, "He could oh, probably sense it." The-. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't he? Yeah. And clearly, there was some em- enmity between Anakin, well, or at least. From Anakin's perspective towards Obi-Wan Kenobi at that fact. And we know that. We see that in Attack of the Clones. The way that he is so exacerbated of the fact that it's all Obi-Wan's fault. Yeah. I, I, I do think that whilst, I mean, Qui-Gon Jinn, of course, is going to play, you could argue the most significant role in actually rebuilding the Jedi Order, um, from his death in, in a phantom menace. But, you could also argue that it was a detriment to the entire galaxy because (laughs) anakin then turned to the dark side yeah now of course there are other factors at play here but i do think that that was a crucial moment when qui-gon dies for anakin's development as as a jedi
1: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely you mentioned that that palpatine almost seems to fill the role that that qui-gon would have filled in anakin's life and i think that's sort of what Anakin was looking for he was looking for a, a wise mentor who had been around the galaxy several times and as much as obi-wan had done in his life at that point he's what like 25 30 at the beginning of of phantom yeah. menace i mean how how long do people stay a, a padawan for i probably you know five years probably something like that he Doesn't look
2: that old he didn't look he didn't seem like a wise yeah older whereas, individual does he
1: yeah whereas you get the sense that qui-gon's been around a whole lot, and Qui-Gon had a very different perspective on things than the rest of the Jedi Order. In some ways, Obi-Wan in the Phantom Menace is is trying to push Qui-Gon towards being what the Jedi Order wants him to be. O- Obi-Wan's kind of d- drunk the Kool-Aid of the Jedi Order in a way that uh, Qui-Gon hadn't at that point, point. and you know Obi-Wan did kind of uh, begin to to stray from that as the prequels went on, but he was still very much. You know, doing wanting to do things the Jedi way, the Jedi way, the Jedi way, which is not necessarily what Qui Gon wanted. Qui Gon wanted to do things by way by the way of the Living Force,
0: and which so, in the end
2: you could argue is the right way to yeah, do it, though, wasn't yeah, exactly. it? Because ultimately, when Obi Wan says, "Look, if you only listen to the council, listen to the council, you would be a member of the yeah, council," exactly. and Qui Gon saying, "Well, I don't care about any of that. There's so there's bigger things at play here." When he finds the Chosen One, Qui Gon is beyond his age, really. He's beyond his time. And yeah. he is the first Jedi to actually realize that what we're fighting for—this th- th- is—we're not—we're fighting for the wrong thing here, and we're going to lose it if we continue to stray down this path. That is really, well, he doesn't say that openly, but I'm sure that's, that's what's yeah. going through his mind. It's implied. And sorry, it's implied. Yeah, exactly. It's implied throughout all of this, and I think that. For Anakin, Qui-Gon was the ideal mentor. As you said, someone who was a little bit maverick, Mm -hmm. someone who wasn't always obedient to the council. And Qui-Gon, of course, you think about his upbringing, his master was Count Dooku, who later also became disillusioned with the Jedi Order. These are the type of characters that, I mean, obviously uh, Dooku turns evil, but we can see how Qui-Gon would have had that huge, huge effect on Anakin's upbringing and... And yeah. as we said, he later has a huge role on the on the Jedi Council. And, and I think his relationship with Obi-Wan does sour. And I think that scene, as you said, to bring it back to these episodes, if that was actually put into the final act of this episode, it would have made a lot more sense. And I think it would have had greater impact than what we see with Anna, uh, Ahsoka and Governor Roshni, which, to me... As I said, I really do like these episodes, but it's one of the forced elements in this episode, the idea that Ahsoka was helping, in quote-unquote, her people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't... I didn't really get that emotional attachment. I didn't understand... It seemed to come at yeah, well, the it, wrong it, moments yeah, in well, these it, episodes. It, it, I didn't really understand why she said that at that point, and it, I didn't feel empathetic towards it.
1: Yeah, it's 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 really interesting that way, that they, they did choose to do this, and... uh Yeah, I'm sure the people in the village maybe for them it would have been more interesting, or you know, it would have been a bigger deal that Ahsoka was there. This is the this is the girl that left to become a Jedi, and now she's back and helping, and we can see what she's become and and how much how what how wise she has become from being a Jedi. Uh, But we just didn't get enough time to spend with those characters, and which is which is just the reality of television. I mean, there wasn't enough time. These are sixty six minutes three 22-minute episodes. It just wasn't time to do that. Um, so I think it would have been more impactful on them than it would have been for her because, you know, for Anakin, Anakin left Tatooine at, at nine. So he was he had grown up with his with his mother and, and, and all that, which is why he has that attachment to her, which is why he goes back and, and slaughters a whole bunch of Tusken raiders for her or because of, of what they did to her. For Ahsoka, she was taken when she was very little. We saw in that flashback in the Young Jedi arc, you know, she was maybe one and a half, two, like she was really little, uh, when Plo Koon found her and, and took her to the temple. So any memory she has of these people is hazy at best. I mean, mm. do, you, do you remember anything from when you were two? I, I don't know really. I mean, maybe some just like snaps of things, but nothing, nothing major.
2: Well, I uh, don't remember any images of people, for example, yeah. it doesn't ring a bell.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's, 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 it, you know, it's, it's not something people really remember. Uh, and so f- for her, you know, it- it's interesting, but I don't think she has any sort of attachment to these people. Maybe a little bit more because they're where she came from. But I, I to her, I think to her, it's just, these are just another people in the galaxy that she has to help. Uh, so she'll have that, she'll have that going for her. That, that'll be a, a definite motivator for her. But it, it's not in the same way it was for Anakin and his mother because there wasn't necessarily that connection. It's like if we ever saw Obi-Wan go back to Stew John. I don't think there would be, uh, <laughs> necessarily that kind of connection there. That's a, that's a, that's a story I want to see. I want to see Obi-Wan hanging out on Stu John.
2: <laughs> well, maybe it'll be a standalone film.
1: Yeah, there you go. That would be great. Obi-Wan goes back to Stu John. And he meets or a his, novel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stew John and it's Moon, Cole Steve, Stephen Colbert. Get it? Yeah. Never mind.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm sure the listeners will. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's, yeah. It's 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 a North American thing, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, anyways, um, let's, let's let's move on. Let's talk. Um, I want to talk about Rex. I want to talk about Rex because this was interesting. Uh, because this is coming off the Ambara arc. This is coming off a huge event in Rex's life. And, uh, I think it was a very good touch by Kevin Kiner at the beginning, uh, of the first episode. When we first see the clones, we have that typical Republic War music that we're used to, but it seemed to be sadder. It seemed to be in in a, it seemed to be like it had a somber tone to it. Almost as if, you know, it was sort of like, okay, we're going back to the old grind after this horrific tragedy that happened on Umbara. And that sort of seemed, that seemed very interesting to me. I thought that was a, a very nice touch because we had just been through like, just been through hell with the clones. I mean, really we had. Um, and so to, to put that twist on their music was a, a very a good touch by, uh, by Mr. Kiner. Um, and, and then we see Rex is going into slavery and, you have to wonder what kind of impact this had on Rex, because he'd just been through this whole experience with a Jedi who wasn't listening to him, who was putting him in harm's way, basically treating him like a slave. Basically. Mm-hmm. And so now he's, there he is, he's being an actual slave. And really, I mean, you know, not that much of a difference between the, his conditions in the, uh, the minds of Kadavo and w- with what Krell was going through. And then Rex murders the, slaver at the end and he has that line of i'm no jedi and you almost wonder if this is the beginning of of sort of a if this is a, a big moment in rex's life of like this is sort of him like i i don't want to be associated with the jedi i i need to be something different something to be <laughs> it's like the beginning of arrow i can't be the clone i once was i have to be something else so <laughs> anyways um i'm, I'm curious on, on your take on on rex and and this uh this episode or these episodes. Oh,
2: I, absolutely. I think that's definitely one of the scenes that stands out to me is when he froze that el- electrocuted pike or whatever you want to call it, staff even at Keeper Argos. Um, and yeah, as you said, he murders him and it was certainly an interesting change of character from what we'd seen at the end of the Krell arc, bearing in mind that he couldn't bring himself to execute this Jedi master or at least, who he thought was a Jedi Master, but turned out to be this dark side Sith acolyte. Yeah. And he couldn't bring himself to do it. And as you said, you wonder whether the conditions, particularly in Cadavo, K- have just pushed him over the edge now. And he's just said, as you, he's just distanced himself from the Jedi Order. Mm-hmm. There are these subtle hints here, really, with Rex, because it's never explicitly exhibited to us Mm -hmm. as audience members what ultimately Rex's fate is. Yeah. Where does he go past Order 66? Does he even live past Order 66? Well, it's moments like these that make me think he does. And as you said, part of it is because he distances himself and divorces himself from the ties that he has forged with the Jedi Order. He doesn't believe in their principles, I don't think, much more, or any... Any more, as Anakin does to an extent. You know, it's fitting that it would be Rex who does that in that sense, because Anakin would have done something like that. And in yeah. fact, we saw a little bit earlier in this episode, Escape from Corvago, Anakin nonchalantly kills these Zergian slaver soldiers, and Ahsoka gives that disapproving nod if you remember that, yep. um, as as they break into the to the actual um, oh, prison, as it were, and. You know, he's he's just you know, nonchalantly slicing up these soldiers. And, again, it's a similar way that Rex doesn't necessarily have any regret about doing it. Obi-Wan wasn't going to do it. But I understand, and really, we should be able to empathize with Rex in this situation. He's gone through so much, um, you know, to an extent... Similar, similar to what Anakin's had to go through. You know, We're talking about the idea of them being enslaved, not in the same way, but the cyclones are also enslaved to the Jedi, are they not? Yeah. And this is an example, really, of Rex unshackling and, and unchaining himself from that by performing an action which the Jedi would certainly consider as, as being malign and something which would not fit in with their honourable code, as it were
1: yeah yeah absolutely i i almost wonder if rex after what he went through on uh on Ambara stopped being loyal to the jedi as a whole and just became loyal to certain jedi like anakin maybe obi-wan and now i'm, I'm trying I'm to really trying to remember if in in one of those ahsoka episodes if she uh if, if it was rex who who betrayed uh uh, who, who gave the order that Ahsoka should be killed and and didn't listen to to Anakin I I'm trying to remember I can't I can't, can't can't remember for the life of me I need to to go back and watch those um I do
2: I do vaguely remember he said a line to the extent of I know Commander commando Tano wouldn't do that or I think I think there was certainly a line at one point in one of those episodes where he yes, did support yes, Ahsoka
1: Yes uh um
2: I think it was in that prison scene when she had escaped and and they were all on the hunt, as it were, um, when she escaped from that Republic stronghold and she ran into the sewers. And, and, and I think he said something to that effect, which, again, would back up your point when you said that he only chose certain Jedi to become loyal with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's, – it's a, it's a, you know, Rex's story, again, we keep coming back to this. It's It's one that doesn't have an ending and –
2: I feel it needs like, to. I feel it like needs we're looking to have at an these, ending. We, we I
1: want to hear it at these, least. Yeah. I feel like there's all these clues and there's all these pieces that, that, that they were all leading somewhere, and we, we just haven't. Seen them all put together yet, and we're we're trying to put them together without knowing what the the final picture will look like. And it's it's an interesting it's an interesting he's an interesting character to look at right now because again we we really don't know. Whereas a lot of these other characters we you know we know what happens to Anakin and, and Obi Wan and, and to a certain extent extent Ahsoka, but we don't know what happens to Rex. And you wonder how each of these moments uh plays out for him or how to it be honest.
2: In. Just to jump in there, I'd like to think that what we see with the release of Quintland Vossen and an Assange Ventress novel, that there's a Rex one not too far around the corner, I because so. I am certain, I am certain it would sell off the wall, to be honest. It's one of the most popular characters in the Clone Wars, and one of the most endeared. I am sure that Filoni, or, or the story group, I should say, must be considering his character. And as you've said, um, it's, it's a story that has no end thus far, only there are only indications as to where his trajectory will actually climax.
1: Yeah. God, I hope we do. I really <laughs> do. All right. Uh, um, let's see. What, uh, what, is there anything else I uh, want to bring up? Let's say Before, or shall we? Is there, yeah. Is there anything else you want to bring up about this episode? Or uh, shall we talk about a friend in need?
2: Uh, I think, I think we're pretty much there. I mean, we, we... We maybe we could just quickly round up about, as we said, the whole uh, premise of this arc, the idea of this, of the Sith yes, yes. acquiring this this empire. And as I said, actually, I do want to bring up a point about the fact that it's important to note the Jedi didn't actually end or destroy the Zigerian Empire. They only managed to evade Sigeria and rescue Obi-Wan from the Kadavo facility. Yeah. Apart from that, from what we can insinuate, Prime Minister Attai ascends to be the new head of the state, and Count Dooku and Darth Sidious have now just, within, have got within their grasp a slaver empire. So, what, what do you make of that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting that that yeah, Dooku is sort of taking control at the end, and you know the Jedi, it, it, as you mentioned, the Jedi don't really solve anything here. I mean, they rescue the. The, the uh kiro the Kiro's crew, but everything else is uh is just kind of is left i mean there's still this massive, under the carpet. <laughs> yeah there's still this massive slave uh empire out there that is now pretty much under the control of of Count Dooku. and i don't know if this will necessarily be used for the separatists, but it will definitely be used for Sidious I mean Sidious needs slaves to build up his his empire to build a death star to do all these incredible things. And incredible in a horrible sense, you know, incredibly horrible things. I don't mean to say uh, support Sidious in any stretch of the imagination. Um, Anyways. um, Yeah. It's, 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 it's an interesting ending because, you know, as much as it seems like a happy ending, it almost isn't like it, it it almost, things are almost worse at the ending than they are at the beginning on a, on a, on a macro scale, on a micro scale, things are better. Kiro's crew is back. Everything is good. They're going to join the Republic. Yeah. Everything, everything is awesome. But in terms of the galaxy, yeah, I, I nearly started seeing the song there. I'm like, nope, now's not the time. Now's not the time. Um, uh, but in terms of the galaxy, it, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Um, what do you think of that?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely concur with your thoughts there. I think it's, as you said there, on a the macro scale, it's ended up in one of the worst situations possible, really, because – You talk about the Kyros joining a Republic, but that's not a good thing for the people. In fact, you could argue that they haven't changed their position from when they were at the start of this, because they've just again become in to the Republic, which we know will eventually become the Galactic Empire. So you could argue that Sidious has won again by taking another star system, and although he was going to try and sell them into slavery during the Clone Wars he won't, he, he will be able to get a hold of him later. And mm-hmm. as we see with slaves and rebels like the Wookiee slaves, yeah. I mean, throughout the entire galaxy, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of what will become the, one of the, the largest slaver powers in, in, in the entire galaxy. And, and Zigeria is, is a home beacon for that, but it means that there are other slaver masters out there, so to speak. Um, that will obviously profit uh, as a result of what's happened here. But most importantly, Sidious will. Yoda makes the point, doesn't he, that there's a darker planet here and that this is an important element which contributes to the rise of the Sith. And we also, as I said, see Darth Sidious uh, personally intervening, stating that if the queen does not obey or heed to his will then she will have to be removed. And so they've now put someone in place who will be loyal Mm -hmm. and submissive to Darth Sidious and Count Dooku. I mean, as you said, it's in the hands of Count Dooku, but ultimately it's in the hands of Sidious. And as we know, in a couple of years' time, Count Dooku will die. And so everything that he possesses, which is already possessed by Sidious, you could argue, um, will then be enacted by Palpatine himself. And I think that this is a very, very... Dark Argon has serious ramifications. And to be honest, I'm glad that they put it here in season four and not say in season one, because I think now with the benefit of hindsight and from what we've already seen, it has a bigger, bigger impact on the overarching story and particularly on the contest and, and the long-standing conflict between the Jedi and the Sith. We learn something more about the traditions of the Sith, and one of them is the acquisition and foundation of a slaver empire. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's, uh Let's, let's move on. Let's talk about a friend in need, a standalone episode featuring the return of death watch and the return of one Lux Bonteri. Karen, do you have the episode description for this episode?
2: I do indeed. Dominic, a friend in need. A peace conference between separatists and Republic delegates is interrupted by one Lux Bonteri, the son of a late separatist senator, who involves Ahsoka in his dangerous search to find justice for his mother's death.
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's let's start with this peace conference because this is interesting. Um, you know, we saw in season three Padme and Lux's mother, Mina Bonteri, had some had some attempts to 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 start this, but they couldn't. Um, because, you know, uh, Dooku and, and all, and Palpatine and all the corruption in the, in the, in both senates really. Um, and so they, they aren't able to get this done and now this happens. I'm curious, I I almost want to know how this managed to happen. I, you, you wonder if Palpatine sort of thought, well, maybe it's time to give them something and, and, you know. You know, maybe it's one of those things that Duke or Palpatine just kind of thought, well, maybe I can make things worse by having this happen. You know, just, <laughs> we'll put them in the same room together and watch them start fighting again. And, and, you know, I'm sure, and basically, that's basically what happened. I mean, Lux rushed in there and, and kind of messed things up. Um, but we, we see Lux and Ahsoka teaming up in, in this adventure again. And I'm, I'm curious to, to hear what, what you think of, of their thoughts, of, of your thoughts on them um having you know we saw them in heroes on both sides and they were just kind of chatting in this one we see them on an adventure together what do you think of the the ahsoka and lux team up
2: yeah I thought it worked quite well actually more so than i was expecting when i was, when I was going into this episode because we would seen a bit of lux and ahsoka in heroes on both sides and again it's it's quite a fitting beginning to this arc that again they refer to the Separatists and the Republic, as you said, attempting to establish peace negotiations. Ultimately, I didn't necessarily get the right vibe in that episode. I wasn't too sure where they were going with this. But in this one, in this episode, a friend in need, it actually it actually worked very well. And there were a lot of funny comedic moments which which really worked between between Lux and Ahsoka, I would say. Um, or Lusoka, is that what is that what we're going to call them these days? Oh, yeah, Luxoka. Luxoka. <laughs> um, and I, and I do think that the whole, uh, plot which revolved around Death Watch, the, the acquaintance between, uh, Ahsoka, the collaboration even with, uh, Ahsoka helping Lux and, 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 and the rapport between those two characters was very effective. And by the end of the episode, I, could believe and and understand ahsoka having these feelings towards towards lux i mean in a way if I, if I was going to say it after the first five or six minutes when lux has drawn the gun on her <laughs> and then um <laughs> knocks her out unconscious then maybe not but i i guess i could see from her perspective that that she just she, she's finding someone and and she's, she's learning. She's still young. People yeah. forget Ahsoka's young. Sixteen. And she's like, yeah, she'd be equivalent to a teenager here. And, you know, she's she's going to have these feelings towards towards certain characters that she will, which I'm sure most Jedi would have to deal with as they grow up. But the difference is she's growing up in a war zone. and mm-hmm. And it's something that really someone like Anakin is not going to put her down for how hypocritical would he be yeah although in fairness he is quite a hypocritical master he is one of those <laughs> do as I say not do as I do yeah so maybe when she says I'm going to go into a relationship he's like well no you can't do that because I'm already got a relationship <laughs> but anyhow I think that I think their character the interaction between Ahsoka and Lux was was actually very in- interesting and 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 very funny and comedic in these episodes. As I said they had a good rapport between them. But I don't know, did you did you take a different perspective on how they interacted together and, and do you think it was effective?
1: I, I yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was fun. I, I really liked when he when he pulled the gun on her <laughs> And she just snatches it from him and points it at him. That was just great. That was such a great moment. And there is sort of a very interesting tension between the two of them because they are, you know, it's Republican separatist. And so they don't agree on a lot of things. um, But they both kind of like each other. And it was, it's very interesting to watch that play out. And and we, we did get to kind of see that go. Throughout this episode, and you mentioned Anakin, um, you know, and, you know, being the do as I say, not as I do, and, and in this case, you know, he kind of, kind of notices something is up between the two of them. He kind of raises an eyebrow uh, when he's in that hologram for that one scene, uh, which was, which was interesting. But you know what? You know what? I forgot to do. I forgot to. I forgot to say this. I'm interested to hear how your thoughts on this episode has changed since they first aired. <laughs> no, no. This is what happens when we try to do two stories in one episode. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I will throw that to you. This have is to... where you
2: get this. Yeah. Don't worry. We, 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 we could do that question now as, we, as yeah. we go into it because we haven't necessarily gone into anything in depth in yeah. these episodes. But I'll tell you what, we'll switch it around as soon as we are changing up a bit. And I'll ask you first, oh, Dominic, oh. what were your initial impressions on this episode and have they changed?
1: Well, I remember when, when this episode first came out, I was just I was very excited to see Death Watch back. Because you know they were so huge in season two, and I had been so looking forward to seeing what they would do in season three, and then been horribly disappo- disappointed to find out we were just going to have some tea and you know maybe go to school on Mandalore instead of dealing with the Death Watch. So I was very excited when they were going to be coming back, and uh, I remember when that clip came out right at right around San Diego Comic Con for that year. With Bo Katan, it was our first look at, at, at Katie Sackoff as a, as a man, as a Mando. And I was very excited about that. And when the episode came out, it's a fun 22 minutes. It is a fun 22 minutes. But I, I think looking back on it, I, I have some, some questions and I, and I have kind of, for lack of a better term, ret- retcon them in my mind. And we'll get into that a little bit, uh, spe- specifically about the Death Watch. But but overall, I still I still like it. It's still a, a good episode, and so I'll, I'll throw it back over to you. What 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 have your have your opinions changed on it?
2: Not not entirely, really, because I've always enjoyed this episode. I yeah. think as I said before, it's one of my favorite episodes of of the series. I think it is a fun adventure with Luxoko, if we're going to call them that, <laughs> and and it's great to have that supplemented with the third element of the Death Watch. As I said, they're definitely one of the most intriguing and and exciting crime syndicates if you want to call them that. Well they're not really crime
1: syndicates, aren't they? Because Well they they're, are. I mean they're kinda of terroristy and that's Yeah, kind I of think a that's crime. that's
2: more of an apt term to use that, actually. Yeah. I think they're they're more terrorists, aren't they? I mean Lux, as we'll later here says that he's fighting with these noble men, or they had this noble yeah. cause. Well, it's uh, I think he gets a little bit disillusioned by that all, or at least he he gets uh, he gets brainwashed by yeah. by the Death Watch in that respect. But I do think that there are so many interesting elements that we'll get on to touch about. The action set pieces again were great, and again, previously in this episode, uh, the John work, Favreau. the voice work by John Favreau, John he is, Favreau. is just fantastic so as this character. And I, you know, I can say this now. I was very, very concerned when I first watched this episode that his character was going to bite the dust because of <laughs> that fight at the end. Um, and I was absolutely, you know, I, I was absolutely chuffed to to see that his character survived. Um, yeah. <laughs> ultimately, well, not for long. But <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> um, but again, I, it was it was just a fun adventure, as you said, and it was it was nice and light hearted. But at the same time, there are still some big moments um, which are related to the overarching story arc, whether it was the meeting between the Separatists and the Republic, whether it was the Death Watch element. And also you see a lot of main characters in here. You see, even if they're brief, whether it's Satine, Dooku, Anakin, and all of that just, just works to make, I would say, one of the, a perfect 22-minute episode. That's That's my point yeah but anyway let's let's go over to you and let's, let's actually dig into these episodes yeah. as it were yeah. like take them.
1: I do want to say one more thing really quickly about when these episodes for, first aired I was really glad to see that they had Favreau back as as Vizsla and I was glad to see that he pulled out the, the dark saber because I was worried they were going to do one of those things where okay we're going to see some some death watch but you know John Favreau was busy and we couldn't get him to do to do Vizsla and so we we wouldn't see him for a while and and so I, I was, I was glad they were able to bring him back. And I think that speaks to the power of star Wars that, you know, even someone like John Favreau, who's got Iron Man movies to direct and produce. And he's, he was probably, he was probably writing chef at the time. And he's got all these other projects on the go. He made time to come in and, and do this voice on the clone wars because he's, because he loves star Wars. and He's a fan. And, and I think that's really great because he asked, he asked for a role on the clone wars. And I think that's really, that's really fun. And I, I I'm glad that, the, that he would, that they cast someone like Favreau and, they really did that with the entire cast where they found people who either were fans or were the right type of people to become fans. And I think that really speaks to the, the quality of the show and, and the people uh, working on it. But let's, yeah, let's get into these, this episode. Uh, let's talk a bit about Death Watch. This is the first time we've seen Death Watch since, since season two. And they're a bit different now. They're a bit different in, in season two. They were marching; they were an army. Now they're a bit more of the sort of the the, the, the EU legends uh, kind of Mandos. They were they're kind of these nomads. They're off on this sort of backwater planet, not really doing anything other than you know tormenting vis- villagers and, and, and that kind of stuff. And so I'm curious about what your take is on the Mandos in, in this episode and how they how much they've changed since. Uh, since we last saw them in season two
2: well they certainly have changed considerably and i think that this episode is important to bridge the gap between the mandos the death watch that we see in season two and what we will see in season five i think it is important to see how their how their trajectory has really changed as you said they're just brigands now, really, aren't they? These mm. mercenaries that have no real noble cause. Their only cause, it would seem, is to, as you said, terrorise villages, but ultimately to to en- enact revenge and vengeance against Count Dooku for yeah, leaving this scar on Previsla, which, to me... I, that's one disappointing moment mm. in, for me is that there was no episode before this <laughs> to bridge the gap because I think there should have been another one as well yeah. added to this, particularly I would have wanted to seen an episode where Previsler and Duku had their confrontation. That would have been far more exciting than the T episode that we had to endure in in mm-hmm. the corruption in season three i yeah you could easily i mean for me that would be straight away crossed. Yeah. You know, again, it's not. It sounds like I'm lambasting the Clone Wars, but I just think that a story like this would have been far more entertaining and well received than some of those episodes of you know, season three in With in Mand on Mandalore. Yeah. Even we we needed to see the Death Watch. But yeah. anyhow, yeah. But the point is that, as you said, the Mandos they've changed a lot. They're they're just these corrupt, malfeasant characters now, which really have no calling or following. They used to be aligned with the separatists. Now they're just fighting on their own. And all they're looking to do, as it were, is to hire these slaves. Again, it, common theme here. Slave seems to be on the agenda yeah. uh, for the Clone Wars <laughs> these days. But, you know, they're, they're hiring these citizens from this nearby village to to be slaves who are uh, cooking and handing out their food and drink and yeah, thinking to themselves, why are they here? Why are they on this planet, Carlac?
0: Uh-huh.
2: They're not doing anything with themselves, and I think that's an important point to highlight because ultimately it demonstrates to the audience that, as we've said, the Death Watch now they're a changed group. Their yeah. mindset's changed. Their demeanour is completely different, and the way they fight their com and their purpose is just it's just distinct, and it's something yeah. which has really undermined you could argue their respectability and and their authority as this so-called elite mandalorian group i mean i haven't read much of the eu and uh, concerning the mandalorians i know that there was an abundance of literature written on them and it's part of the legends canon anyway but as you said there seems to be a lot of commentary on mandos um you know having having similar tendencies but yeah what, what did you make of yeah. the changed Mandal- the mandalorians and the death watch since season 2.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's very interesting that the the way the death watch story is told on the clone wars. And I think uh you know, everybody loves the death watch, everybody loves mandos. And so I think we want wanted to believe that we were watching the death watch story whereas I really don't think we were. I think Death Watch is this group that exists in the galaxy, and we're going to and we, we see them go up against, uh, you know, the Mandos. We see them go up against Obi Wan in this, in case Ahsoka and 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 all kinds of. And then there's the whole thing in season five. Um, but their story is not necessarily a focal point of the show. They are. Uh, their story is kind of happening at the same time. And every now and again, someone from, our, from the show who we're following their story intersects with theirs. So we never see the full death watch story, which is why we didn't see that episode where Count Dooku and, and Pre Vizla face off, because that would have been a great story. And I think this is like the, the clone wars. Uh, I don't think, I think this is what they were planning on doing um, because I remember around, I think it was the end of season four uh, entertainment weekly hosted these chats Uh, during the airing of the episodes, like they would start the episodes with air at like eight thirty, they would start at eight and they would get some, they would get someone from the crew or some of the actors and they would host these chats with, with fans. And I remember Dave Filoni was on, was doing one of these ones and it was, you know, it was just a, a, a text chat thing. And I put in my question about this very fact and I said, you know, was there ever a plan to tell that story? And I remember Floody answered, and I was very excited. He was like, "Ooh, Dave Floney answered my question," <laughs> um, and he's like, "No, there, there wasn't that. That was that was never a story that we ever actually considered telling on the show." And I remember at the time thinking, "Like, really? <laughs> like, how? how this, that seems like a pretty important thing for a pretty important faction in this war." Um, but I think, as we've sort of come to realize, or as I, I've come to realize, this is my interpretation of it: is that they again. Their story is happening at the same time, and every now and again they will intersect with our characters, but it's not necessarily their story that we're following. So we will get sort of these snapshots of where they are at every at, at certain points during the story, um, and we can sort of stitch them together and kind of figure out what was going on, what the Death Watch story is, but it's never one that was told uh, from beginning to end on the show the same way that Ahsoka's story was, or even Darth Maul's story was. And so I think what we get here... Is after season two, uh, you know, it's pretty clear that Vizsla was, was ticked off with Dooku. He was not, not, not happy with them. And so they probably confronted each other and they went their separate ways after a, you know, pretty brutal confrontation where with that scar. And I think after that happened, Death Watch kind of lost their way. I think they all of a sudden, their new mission wasn't to liberate Mandalore. It was to kill Count Dooku. And that's what we see in these episodes. And they've kind of, so, now they're just trying to figure out what to do, and, and when they were trying to figure out what to do, they sort of reverted into these sort of nomad pirate things. And we see that because Lux brings them this information, and I think season two of Vizsla would have taken that information and been like, all right, let's go. Let's do this, guys. Instead, it was like, okay, let's party because that's sort of what they've become because they've <laughs> lost their way. And so I think this what this episode shows is almost like a wake-up call for Death Watch. And it's sort of a beginning of a turnaround because I think Vizsla was embarrassed. Because he lost, he lost to Ahsoka. And I'm sure by the time they actually went and looked for Dooku, uh, he was long gone from wherever, uh, Lux tracked him to. So I think after those, those two things combined, I think Vizsla was embarrassed and he probably tried to start putting the Death Watch back on the right path. Because when we see Death Watch again in season five – and I don't want to get too much into season five. I want to save that for when we talk about it. But I, I feel the Death Watch we see in season five is much more uh, like the Death Watch we saw in season two than the, the Death Watch we see in season four. So I think there was sort of that turnaround moment uh, where they started to try and find their, their way again. And Darth Maul comes in and he sort of takes over and he, he uh, you know uses that – their drive to – want their, their desire to take over Mandalore and uses it for his own purpose. And I, I think that he sort of realized that they, these people, they're a bit lost. They kind of, they know what they want, but they're not sure how to do it. And they have all these goals. And you know, Vizla is trying. He's, he's obviously trying, but he, you know, he, he kind of has, has failed as a leader in some ways because after the whole thing with Dooku, he allowed them to become this sort of drunken nomads that we see in these episodes and. Uh, so Maul kind of comes in and takes over as leader and sort of directs them in the right – sort of points them in the right direction again. And I, I and again, I think that Vizsla after this was kind of embarrassed and sort of tried to put them on the right trajectory again. Um, and then when that happened, he was sort of in the right place for Maul to sort of go, OK, this guy knows what he wants. He's trying to get what he wants. I, but he's he's still a bit lost and his people are a bit lost. I can use them. To get what I want, and because what I want is similar to what he wants, and uh, you know if he doesn't want to help me, well, I will kill him. So that's exactly. that's my that's my take on the overall Death Watch story.
2: Well, I think mean, it makes a lot of sense. To be fair, I would I would agree with pretty much everything you said there, particularly the elements as you said here in this in this episode where he's really been humiliated by yeah. Ahsoka and as you said. It was a wake-up call that he he finally recognised that I can't even match the Jedi. I mean, again, he struggled with Obi-Wan Kenobi, there's no doubt about that, but he caught a Jedi yeah, and was ready to execute them, and then they managed to wow. evade, nevertheless, by the help of a couple of droids, yeah. a couple of prepared droids. And as you said, surely his... Mandate, as it were, of killing Dooku would have taken priority. And that was something that, that you raised there earlier, which I thought was very interesting, Dominic, about the, the fact that when he received that information from Lux, he went straight to party and he went to celebrate. Mm-hmm. He, if that was him in season two, as you said, he would have gone straight to find Dooku. Um, although I have to say, linked onto what you've also said, how was he going to do it? What was his method going to be? Cause yeah. to be honest, if it was on Sereno, well, we've already see, we see in season four he has a blockade of yeah. ships surrounding that planet
1: because somebody already tried to kill him on Sereno. Sorry, because somebody already tried to kill him on Sereno in season three with uh, Assage and the Night Sisters.
2: Well, exactly, that was the result. And so, since then, of course, he would have had that droid blockade surrounding the planet was was going to be a huge deterrent to any of Death Watch's mm-hmm. schemes or plots. And it's just it was just not a well thought out plan. And as you said, it was really Darth Maul's vision which helped push Death Watch into the on, onto the right path, as it were, and actually realise his true objective and goal, which was to take yeah. over Mandalore to actually have have Mandalore within his grasp. And it took someone of Darth Maul's power and influence to actually push that through as you said so I, the, I i completely agree with your summation really of the death watch storyline but the point is i like to think that the death watch story has not ended yeah. similar to what we talk about rex i would, there's there's room for them to come back and i think that would be we see a, that would certainly be interesting because well jump in actually don't yeah I?
1: well i was just gonna say we see a little bit of, of them in a uh, Darth Maul's son of Dathomir the comic, but that just sort of goes to further, further my point about, you know, the Death Watch story never really taking the focus. It's really just something that interests, that, uh, you know, plays in with other characters' stories, um, because, uh, you know, they're really just a, a side element in that when the main focus in that is, you know, Maul and, and Savage and Dooku and Palpatine and, and Mother Talzin and, and even to a lesser extent Obi Wan, um, and the, the Death Watch are just kind of there fighting, uh, But yeah, exactly.
2: They wear the armor of the Mandalorians, but they're not necessarily the vocal point and the and the pivotal point of the story. Exactly. I mean, I thought there was an interesting point, kind of linking onto this and what we've seen in in the previous arc, where Anakin and Ahsoka, when they entered the the slaver planet and uh, saw Prime Minister Attai about to whip that slaver. That's says I something to the effect of you wear Nigerian armour but you're not one of us mm-hmm. and to me that made me think of a character such as Boba Fett in the sense that just because he wears Mandalorian armour doesn't necessarily mean he's a Mandalorian himself and in a similar way, while Death Watch to an extent are, they're not necessarily the true Mandalorians if people think that there are these Mandalorians, these ancient traditional warriors that we believe they, they really are but they, they wear the armour, it doesn't necessarily make them that character and i think we see in these episodes in particular that death watch doesn't represent that in fact it represents a group of mercenaries and brigands who have lost their purpose lost their mission and quest and it takes someone like darth maul to push them in the right direction but also the events we see in here with the humiliation of losing to ahsoka not being able to kill count dooku which actually facilitate the rise of death watch as a far more organized and Strengthened outfit.
1: Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, uh, last thing I kind of want to bring up is, is the end of the episode when, um, Ahsoka and, and Lux say their goodbye. I mean, we talked, talked a little bit at the beginning uh, about them sort of on the adventure together. Let's sort of talk about the ending of that. Uh, when they, you know, they, they do the, they do the Star Trek thing with the hands on the glass as, as, as Lux takes off in the escape pod. Uh, I'm curious what you thought of, of that ending because, uh, you know, there is clearly a desire on both their theirs part to, you know, be together in some form. Uh, but they can't really bring themselves to it. It's almost it's almost an Anakin Padme kind of thing in the middle of episode two. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's if for some reason, uh, you know, they didn't wind up going to Tatooine and Anakin, it just kind of left after the fireplace scene. And that's kind of what it, it felt like there because they had just been on this adventure and, and, uh, you know, maybe not to the same extent because they hadn't like, you know, bore their feelings out to each other at this point. <laughs> but it was, uh, it, it was a, an interesting kind of, uh, interesting kind of move. Uh, so I'm curious what, what, what your take was on, on, on that scene there.
2: Yeah. It was a, it was a little bit anticlimactic. Would you not say? I think that there should have been a little bit more to resolve this and, Really, I don't think they ever get back to this notion of Lux and Ahsoka. And perhaps that was the purpose of that last scene, the fact that they depart ways at the end, and you see they have the hand and the glass. That was really the episode that pushed them into the direction of not becoming a couple, as it were, not building a a close relationship because she's a Jedi and... Well, whatever he is now he he ended up becoming a senator, I believe again in the in the under arc or what we see in the under yeah. arc, but ultimately he's just a civilian and and I think she's beginning to realize that as well, but it does take Lux pushing her to that place to to actually understand that. It must be hard for her. she has these feelings, and she knows that it's forbidden for a jedi to form attachments. Yeah, she, but when you have these feelings, it's something that is hard to curb, and I'm sure that's something that Ahsoka has had racing around her mind, um, or at least it was. I should say it was probably kept beneath her mind, but it began to race again once she saw Lux. Mm-hmm. She probably never thought she'd ever see him again, and it's just, you know, it's it's it, it's 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 quite emotionally impactful, as I say. It was yeah, it was an emotionally emotionally impactful moment, but I also think that it was still a little bit anticlimactic. I wish there could have been a little bit more just to make it explicitly obvious to the audience and transparent that the relationship between these two would never be forged. It was left a little bit open ended, well, but maybe maybe you have a different perspective yeah. from that, Dominic.
1: Well, I think it, leaving it kind of open ended like that was was interesting because it, it does kind of you know when when andron comes rolls around and we see that uh lux and and steela are in some kind of relationship it does kind of you know pull the rug out from the under the audience of like you thought that 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 we were going to have lux sok and no that we're going to do something else and I, so i think um maybe in that scene we were almost seeing things from uh, an ahsoka centric perspective and so yeah. there seemed to be a little bit more hope um, from the two of them than there would be if we had seen it from a, a Lux-centric perspective, because, you know, we've spent three and a half seasons at this point with Ahsoka, so we're, we're obviously going to uh, uh, associate more with her or empathize more with her, uh, just cause we've, we've seen, spent more time with her, uh, and as a result, m- maybe the, the scene was played up in that way, um, so that when we do get to Andron and we see, uh, Lux and Stila, it's a, it's a it's just as big a shock to the audience as it was to Ahsoka. So I you know, I don't mind the way it ended. It it maybe it was a little bit melodramatic, but uh mm-hmm. I think it, it worked as an ending. So is is there anything else you want to bring up about uh this episode?
2: I think we I think we touched upon all of the the main elements of this episode.
1: All right. Well then let's let's do some favorite quotes for all four episodes. So um, do you want me to go first, or are you ready this week?
2: I am ready. This All week. right. So I, I Let's will, see, hear what you have first. from Kidnapped. Yeah. So for Kidnapped, I have gone for a quote by Obi Wan Kenobi. Nice. Which was at, towards the end of the episode when it's revealed that the that the bombs have been disarmed. He says, "Well, he grabs those two commando droids, throws them, or well, crushes them, so to speak." And then he says, certainly took him long enough this time. <laughs> well, shall we discuss your surrender? Again. Uh, classic that, that line. It's just a great James Arnold Taylor line yeah. again. It's just uh, well, so voice actor of Obi Wan. It is so Obi Wan really, that's isn't so it?
1: So Obi Wan, yeah. It's it's really it's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, I like
2: that one. Have you got one from Kidnapped?
1: Yes, I do. Um, from Kidnapped, it's a little exchange between Darts Dinar and Ahsoka. And, and Darts says, Young Jedi, you will soon learn your place. And Ahsoka replies, I'm not so young anymore. And I, I quite like that scene. I thought it was just sort of a nice it's acknowledgement good. that, you know, Ahsoka's been through some stuff. I mean, you know, she, she makes I mean, technically, yes, yeah, she's only 16. She's only two years older than she was when we first met her but there there's she's been through some stuff she's not as bright-eyed as she was in the film
2: absolutely i can i can concur with that and the next one i've got is from the slaves of the republic episode and it's in the slave auction scene yes the queen says you might have the similar one here oh, no prove <laughs> to me you are a slaver swing that whip or die beside him and Anakin replies, "Well, those are some lousy options." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that line. That's there. a good it's just one. Typical Anakin cynicism.
1: Yes, yes. And I, I do want to. I, I this isn't my quote, but uh, there was such a great moment right after it there when Anakin sort of goes up to Obi Wan and he says, uh, "You know, I guess I'm here to rescue you again, old man." Uh, and uh, and it was again. It goes back to my point about those episodes. You know that that whole sequence is meant to like build you up. Like, here we go. Here's, we're going to rescue. Everything's going to go right because that's such a an anakin thing to do before he rescues obi-wan uh and then everything goes wrong and and we get into you know the worst possible scenario before all r2 rolls in to save the day but my my quote from that episode uh is an obi-wan quote from the beginning of uh of the episode when they're approaching uh no not kadavo uh kiros right and uh, when you mean no, when
2: they're um, Sigeria. Approaching
1: so they go to three different planets in this episode in this arc. I'm just starting, uh, it's, to... it's not
2: like Rebels, yeah, don't. they don't just stay on Lothal for the whole time. Rebels,
1: is just like Lothal, we got this, it's Lothal. Except there's that they go to that one planet like next door that one time, but anyways, <laughs> anyways, uh, when they're approaching Sigeria and they see all the ships, and Obi-Wan says, yeah, whatever it is, it's attracting a lot of high-class scum. I quite like that line. It's again a, a nice solid performance from, from James Arnold Taylor. Uh, really, really great stuff. Uh, and uh, what do you have from Escape from Kadavo?
2: And this one is when Obi Wan Kenobi is talking with Count Dooku in hologram format with Captain Argais beside. And the first line Count Dooku says is. Obi Wan Kenobi in chains once again. I see. I just love that because it's so true. Obi Wan yeah. always seems to find himself encaged or yeah. arrested for something or other. It's just I thought that was quite a, a, an ironic, dramatic, uh, ironic line, so to speak. But what about you? What did yeah. you Get from Escape. Well,
1: I want to say about quickly about that line. That line made me want to go back and uh, rewatch Episode Three <laughs> or Episode Two. I, I need to need to watch Attack of the Clones again. Um, but yeah, for me, it's it's the sidious line uh, from that when, when he's talking to yes. Duke the Hologram. And he says, Long have Sith empires been built on the backs of slaves. I thought that was just a, a haunting line. I, I, I quite liked it. I, I thought it was a cool line. All right, and four, friend in need, what is your quote?
2: My final quote is when the Death Watch are burning that village. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but when they're burning that village. And then uh, Lux says, what are you doing? And the grabs him and says, never let the weak tell you what to do. Welcome to Death Watch. And then it's just that great visual image of the burning houses yes. right in front of them it was just that was a great moment yeah what I, about yourself
1: well i have to friend, say that a that's, need. that's a great moment that was actually my my backup quote and take case you took mine Ooh. and uh mine is it's uh when ahsoka is serving Lux at the uh at the party and she, she goes up to him and she says careful not to choke on your stupidity i, I love <laughs> that line it's, it's it's some really really great stuff from padawan Tano. Alright, well, that is going to wrap things up for this week. Let's do this, uh, final thoughts and score out of 10 for the Slavers trilogy. Kieran, what are you, what have you, what say you?
2: My final thoughts and score out of 10 for the Slaver's Ark. I think the Slaver's Ark was absolutely fantastic. It's certainly one of my favourites of the the series. And again, as you said, based on that fabulous novel and uh, comic book that was written by Henry Gilroy and Stephen Melcher, it was was just incredible. We get to see, as we said, the big themes related to the the slavers are to the slavers themselves um but also related to anakin and his past and how he's grown up and how it's really impacted on his on his current life it was just fantastic great action set pieces big fan of the xygerians themselves i've never seen anything like them before really on the clone wars and they were they were just a cruel race but it was just interesting to have a different villain, and a villain that, as we said, may well be recurring because the the Nigerian Empire lives on past these episodes. There was also just a grand plot between the Jedi and the Sith, which, again, is it just highlights who are the true belligerents, who are the true enemies and heroes in this war, and we really got to consider their characters. So for me, it was just a fantastic fabulous episode and arc even and my score would be 8.5 out of 10 dominic what are your final thoughts
1: yeah i i absolutely I, i i really enjoy these episodes they are very well done they're very well written uh very well acted very well directed uh with some great music cues uh as you said getting into some of those themes like slavery and, and these these issues that are are big big deals in the star wars galaxy because we know how much they have impacted anakin and well anakin is the main character uh at least for now episode seven um and uh, i i really i yeah i can't i can't say enough good things about, about this app ep- those episodes i'm also going to give it an 8.5 out of 10 all right how about a friend in need final thoughts and score out of 10
2: friend in need absolutely phenomenal episode for me it was one of the best of the series as i alluded to earlier i love seeing the return of death watch they're some of my favorite characters particularly pre-vizsla and it was just there was, was still some great action from death watch that dark saber who could not like yeah. that design <laughs> of that lightsaber it was absolutely incredible and we got to see him use it again against the and, again, there were so many different elements. As I said, we got to see the main characters of Dooku, Anakin, Satine. Padme was in it briefly as well. Yeah. And we had the Separatist Republic meeting. It was just, I, for me, a perfect 22-minute episode. And, again, it was really boosted, I, I would say, with the scores as well. I think there were some great scores in this, particularly the chorus at the end when the pre and Ahsoka have their final duel. And it was just great. Great, great episode, and the Luxoka story goes on, as we will get back onto in season 5. Dominic, oh, oh, sorry, I need to get my score. Yeah, your my score, score man. would be, my score would be 10 out of 10. Oh, great 10 episode. 10. I don't usually, but this was a great one. Dominic, yeah. final thoughts, and score out of 10.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, absolutely, enjoy, uh, I absolutely enjoyed this episode as well. Uh, some great action. Ahsoka chopping off the heads of four mandos with one swing of her sabers. That was pretty cool. Uh, not going to lie. Uh, also, as he's mentioned, the lightsaber duel between Ahsoka and Vizla was great. Uh, lots of cool visuals, lots of fun dialogue between Ahsoka and Lux. Uh, really great stuff. Also, uh, the music at the, at the end, as, as Lux is flying away in the escape pod, we see, or we hear, Uh, ahsoka's theme start to play and it's funny you know i never noticed ahsoka's theme when the show was actually on it's only when they started using it at the end of episodes at the end of big episodes like the ahsoka arc and the of course the series finale in uh the yoda arc uh when they started using it there all of a sudden i knew what it was and i started begun to hear it in episodes uh more and more and so i really like that i think uh you know uh, hindsight being 2020 i think the clone wars could have used it a little bit more at the beginning made us really recognize it um and it would have made these scenes more impactful the first time around uh but seeing that the, the the fact that they're impactful the second time around speaks to or really it's more like the third or fourth time around for me <laughs> if i'm being honest it speaks to the quality of this series um uh, but i i'm going to give this one i'm going to give it the same as the uh slaver's arc 8.5 really good uh i don't know if i would go uh perfect just yet on that one uh, alright so that's going to wrap it up thank you guys uh, so much for listening as always hope you enjoyed the show next next time we'll be back uh, in two weeks talking about the Reiko Hardin arc uh, a really interesting arc and, uh, and hopefully we'll have someone very cool to talk to you about that as well uh, so uh be sure to check that out. And uh, if everything goes according to plan, uh, the episode will actually come out a day later. <laughs> um, it'll be out on the Wednesday, uh, t- uh, two weeks from now. Uh, if if things fall through, then it'll come out the normal time. So it's a, it's a win-win situation. If you have to wait a day, you need something cool is happening, you get it normal time. Well, you get it normal time. Uh, in the meantime, don't forget to like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Clone Wars Strikes Back, or just search for The Clone Wars Strikes Back on Facebook. We're always posting new and interesting stuff over there, so if you want to keep a little bit of Clone Wars in your news feed, that is the page to like. Also, follow us on Twitter at tcw back. You can also follow me personally at DominicJ25, and you can follow Kieran at Duggan 6 uh, as we mentioned before, <laughs> we'll be at Star Wars Celebration uh, in a couple of months, so be sure to come down and check us out, and uh, you can get your tickets for Celebration, StarWarsCelebration.com. Kieran, what is coming up on Expression FM this week?
2: Busy, busy times for Expression once again, and... Well, we're actually we're actually going to go a bit American this week, Ooh. and that's because there is this big thing I hear called the Super <laughs> yeah, Bowl that's, that's... next <laughs> next Sunday. <laughs> yeah.
1: You guys, you guys busy talking about Deflate Gate. That's all I hear about. I listen to a lot of sports radio here, and all they're talking about is freaking Deflate Gate. It is the dumbest scandal in the history of sports. But anyway, sorry, Do continue.
2: Uh, I. Don't know about Flaygate, but I do know about the Super Bowl's coming up. And uh, then the Super Bowl is gonna, it's gonna be a great event. To be honest, this is gonna be the first time I've ever watched it as well, so I'm looking forward to it. But anyway, there will be- Hopefully it's a better
1: game than last year. Last year was such a boring game. But anyways, do continue. I keep interrupting, I'm sorry. I'm gonna mute myself. So, you don't have well, to, to be me. fair,
2: I, I'm not going to have amazingly high expectations going into <laughs> it, so hopefully I'll, I'll come out and think, oh, yeah, that was okay. <laughs> Anyhow, um, hopefully North you, American listeners haven't tuned out by who, now. Who are you going to cheer point- for? <laughs> who are you going to cheer for?
1: I, I feel like we have to we have to cheer, we have to support our, our fellow Star Wars Underworld people and, and cheer for New England and support, support our pal Chris Siegel. I feel like that's what we have to do.
2: Um, well i'm sure we can do that i think there are there are supporters of these teams here in england but i or at least here at the university some of my mates but you know they start talking to me about it and i'm just like (laughs) not in my head saying yeah 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 yeah, that sounds good oh yeah you're right um but i have no clue what they're talking about
1: it's like when you it's like when you start talking star wars to them they're like (laughs) oh
2: That's it. It's funny how when I talk Star Wars, it seems to be quite a one sided conversation. <laughs> I seem to be saying a lot, they seem to just be nodding. Yeah. But it's,
1: the, it's the reverse when they talk football. Anyway.
2: Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'll actually tell you what's happening now on expression. On Tuesday night, it's uh, 7 uh, no, even 8 pm until until around 10 pm. There will be the Tuesday night sport, which will be about 2 to 4 pm over in North America. And or Eastern time at least, Mm -hmm. and there will be just chat chat previews about the Super Bowl. So if you do want to listen to that, and it may well be up your street this time, then you are more than welcome to. And then we have the usual regular Saturday sports show on Saturdays from eleven a.m. till to two p.m. GMT time that is. And we no longer have the sporting Sunday brunch. So thank goodness for that. You won't have to get up at (laughs) six or five a.m. in the morning. But there there were to be honest. If you can get up at 5 a.m. and 6 a.m., one of the main reasons we can't do it now is because no one can be bothered to get up at 10 a.m. So so, uh, there we go. Getting up for the early morning
1: celebration uh, press conferences is going to be fun. Oh, yeah, that will be because we're going to have
2: to be there by about 10 a.m., ain't we? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, you know fortunately it, I wasn't one of those people but you know what can I say what can I say um, actually no it's Saturday night no I, I couldn't <laughs> um, anyhow that's the expression sport really really busy week and we just had media week as well so it was all about expression um, expose which is the newspaper article XTV which is the TV side of things and I had loads of guests and stuff coming in I don't know if you've heard about Chris Moyles yeah. Um, we we didn't get him in but we got someone from his group.
0: <laughs> Nevertheless,
2: but, it was it was a very exciting thing. You know
1: week. George Lucas? Yeah, we didn't get him. But we got someone <laughs> Yeah
2: <laughs> We could get George Yeah, but the thing is if I said I got someone from George Lucas's team, I would name them and you would know who they oh, are. Yeah, that's if true. If I had gone, say someone from Chris Moyles' team, you'd like I don't know who he is. Because yeah. I didn't know who he was before either. So <laughs> anyway, that's that's there we are it ended up being more, much more long winded than I anticipated yeah, to right. be honest it's just a regular schedule apart from the fact <laughs> we got the Super Bowl although after this though I am going to watch the WWE Royal Rumble which I've also never watched before I've never, and I've never uh, watched that, that should be a
1: good <laughs> Yeah. That's, what you need to do when you're watching uh, watching wrestling or MMA or whatever? you just put it on mute and have the subtitles on. It is absolutely hysterical, the double entendres that happen <laughs> um, <laughs> when you're just reading it in text uh, combined with those visuals. Uh, but, anyways, um, sorry. Anyway, Dominic, all the things you've just talked about at expression, how can people <laughs> listen to it? Oh, yeah, I forgot about
2: that, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> We're so busy engaging in actually what's happening and no knows how to listen to exactly. it, it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. They can listen to me on www.expression.fm and our Twitter handle is at ExpressionFM. Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash ExpressionFM. And that is the way to get in touch. Anyhow, before that, let's just get back into normal routine. Dominic, what do you have coming up that you want to disclose to the listeners?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, everybody needs to check out Star Wars Underworld Podcasts. Those are recorded live at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, on Thursday nights on channel1138.com or if you wanna take part in the uh, live chat we have going on, you wanna go over to mixler.com slash channel dash um, 1138. and the episodes will be released on Fridays, uh, Friday mornings uh, to the iTunes feed and uh, make sure you subscribe to that iTunes feed because that is the iTunes feed where you can find this show and that show. Both of them two for one. Uh, can't beat that price because the price is free and uh <laughs> absolutely check out check out the uh last last episode of Star Wars Underworld we talked about the, the return of Lando on Rebels and that uh, that was an interesting discussion and uh we'll have some like I said at the beginning of the show we have an exciting announcement that will be coming up on uh this week's show we uh, may we may make it before the show i just haven't had a good chance to talk to Chris and Ben about when we want to make the announcement so i don't want to say it now and uh spoil the surprise so be sure to check that out um when it is appropriate to do so so they, they, and also should mention uh yeah, keep an eye on our social media in the next uh week or so because we will have an announcement about a new show coming from the two of us so it's a
2: big week for announcements now yeah, it all is all of a sudden isn't
1: it it is and uh, looking forward to it yeah it's, it's going to be great so uh thank you everybody for listening uh and of course may the force be with you